Welcome everyone to a very special episode of the Grappling With Life podcast. Obviously I'm your host Mohamed Yahiawi and today we have a very, very special, uh, it's a first time actually, we have someone from across the pond um, live on Zoom. I say live, it's pre-recorded, but uh, we have, uh, we, we kind of got chatting over the past few months and when I heard his story, I was like, this definitely need to have this guy on. Um, and without further ado, I present to you, Mr. Daniel. Salam alaikum, bro. Alaikum assalam. Firstly, thank you very much for coming. I say coming. Thank you very much for logging in. <laughs> I know Thanks what. For having so it's seven. It's almost eight o'clock here, and the time over there is is I'm guessing two o'clock, three o'clock. Almost three. Almost three. All right. He's been. Poor Daniel's been hanging around while we sort out all the tech. So <laughs> this has been a first, and inshallah, first of many. So Daniel, I guess we're going to get started right at the beginning. I think well, we did discuss beforehand that you're going to give us a little bit of a flavour, because obviously it's a UK audience, mostly. So where are you, where are you brought up in America? And I guess I'm going to let you crack on. Um, okay. Uh I grew up in the New Hampshire, Massachusetts area, for those that don't know. Um, I'm in southern New Hampshire, which would be about 45 minutes from Boston. And I'm sure people know, we discussed earlier, uh, MIT, <laughs> yep. Harvard. Oh, Harvard's you know, in, are... in, in Boston, yeah? Uh, yeah, it's in uh, Cambridge, which is really Ah, uh, Okay, interesting. And so, so, so Boston, oh, we discussed that Whitey Bulger, if you've guys seen the film The Departed, um, <laughs> yeah. he's from there as well. Um, yeah, the Celtics. The Celtics, Boston Celtics. Oh, Larry Bird, Larry Bird, right? Larry Bird, that's old school. That's old school. Shaq played for them for a little bit, didn't he? Um, I'm pretty sure he did. Later I on. I, I wasn't really into the basketball scene back in the day. What about American football? Were you into American football? To be honest with you, that's one of the interesting things about me in jiu-jitsu is I wasn't really athletic at all when I was mm. younger. You know, it was you mean more at into all? music. I was, oh, interesting. I was into the music scene heavy. Not, Bo uh, Bonefugs. <laughs> sort of. Because <laughs> you got the lazy, was it lazy bone hairstyle at the moment, isn't it? Oh, yeah, the long hair, yeah. <laughs> I, uh, my... Um, my late wife, Allah Yerhamu, used to tell me that if I, if I cut it off, she'd kill me. So I'm okay. still, I still have that. that to honor her, inshallah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> inshallah. Okay, cool. So you grew up in, um, in New Hampshire. Uh, talk mm -hmm. us through your kind of early life. Um, well, I was born in Lawrence, Massachusetts, which is a crummy, criminal-ridden awful city uh and my parents uh at a very young age brought me to uh new hampshire me and my brothers you right. know i have a large family and i mostly grew up in the new hampshire southern new hampshire area bordering massachusetts as i mentioned previously uh, about 45 minutes from boston massachusetts so your, your ethnic uh, background daniel it's uh puerto rican taino yeah, uh, Puerto Rican. Uh, my father's straight from Puerto Rico accent and everything. Um, Does he say papi a lot? 
Yeah, hey, yeah, Papi. Papi. Dad. Yeah. <laughs> you got it. You know this. Yeah, trust me, man. This, uh, but yeah, my father's from Puerto Rico, um, and my mother is Austrian, Lithuanian, and English. But from, you know, they've been in America since yeah. the beginning. Like, actually, strangely enough, one of my ancestors happens to be Abraham Lincoln. No way. So, yes. Like, I've my ancestry is Native American because Puerto Ricans consist of Taino Indian, um, African, and, Spanish, and a little right? bit of Spaniard, yeah. you know? Uh, and then, so I'm Native American. And I'm also the people that came over and killed the Native Americans. That's mad. So figure that out. <laughs> so Abraham Lincoln, funny enough, I was, I was reading a post the other day by this uh, Instagram uh, called Obsessed Wrestler. And apparently he had like 300 wrestling fights, only lost one. You hear about that? Really? I, yeah. I actually didn't know that. Yeah, it's interesting, man. Um, so yeah, anyway, that's a really side fact. But more interestingly, okay, so Puerto Rican, but... Brought up in, uh, was it, uh, let me see if I can remember, Lawrence, right? Yeah. Then you moved over to Lawrence. New Hampshire. Yeah. And how old were you roughly at the time when you moved over? Oh, I was very young. Like, right. Just uh, just a very young child to the point that I have no memory, really. Right, right. Was it for like economic reasons? Was it because of the crime? Was it because... I think it was economic, you know, just better jobs, better right. uh, living, you know, New Hampshire to uh, grow up in is a really nice place. It's a suburban area. We have cities and stuff, but it's a beautiful area. So New Hampshire, is the, is the Hamptons in there? So I'm being very uh, ignorant, bro. Is, is that where the Hamptons are? Not the Hamptons. It's funny because we do have uh, Hampton Beach, but <laughs> not the Hamptons. Right. The Hamptons are in, uh, outskirts in New York, right? Yeah, yeah. Right. Okay, okay, okay. You can tell... I, I, uh, I watch a lot of uh, <laughs> New York-based yeah. dramas from back in the day. <laughs> it's, it's impressive, though, your knowledge of... Uh, <laughs> it's terrible, bro. Um, like, I don't even know what's outside of London, to be honest with you. I don't know what, like, where New Hampshire is and whatnot. So, yeah, it's interesting. Cool. So you, so you went to high school in New Hampshire and all that stuff? Yeah, I did. Cool. I went to uh, high school in uh, Pelham, Pelham, New Hampshire, which is still right on the border of Massachusetts um in which i actually happened to drop out i was i was a high school dropout yeah i was troublesome man i was i was always getting into fights in high school and the uh the school had a major problem with me with the just uncontrollable nature like i wasn't the worst mm. but i just had that attitude you know like i'm not gonna let some teacher tell me type of punk attitude and uh punk. eventually they <laughs> Yeah, you know, this eventually they 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 asked me like, look, your credits are not doing too well because you just skip classes, you don't show up. You know, it's better that you drop out. They actually what, 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 why do you think that is though? Why do you think you had that rebellious streak? Um, it's you know, it's strange. Uh, uh I think uh I used to remember I I dealt with some racism cuz overall where I grew up was a more Caucasian area. Right. And me being one of the only people of any type of color, you know, Puerto Rican and stuff, you know, sometimes you'd have comments at a young age, but when you grow into it, even when it's not happening as much, it still is something Inside. that you, now you have a knee jerk reaction. Everything in my eyes was like, oh, is that it? Is that it? Because I did have, you know, racial comments made when I was younger. So then I just had a chip on my shoulder due to that. As well as, 
you know, you're a teenager, you're a yeah, troublemaker. Yeah. I hear that. <laughs> we have the same thing over here, man. I mean, we, 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 we have. I mean, growing up, we had the same kind of, um, I say, chip on our shoulder as well. So that tends to kind of come out in a, a bit of a unfortunate way, and we kind of self harm almost, like we we uh, sabotage ourselves. Yeah, yeah. not defo, man. So you dropped out of school. Uh, yep. What what age? Like roughly 15, 16? Um, no, no, no. Uh, around eight, around eighteen. Right when I turned eighteen, it was my. I think it was actually my birthday, and the high school <laughs> principal. Right. So that would have been like. <laughs> so just to kind of for the uh, the British viewers, because in in the UK, how how the school system is split up, you've got like primary school. Yeah. So you got you got you got a primary school, which consists of I guess kindergarten and. Well, what's after kindergarten, man? What's after kindergarten? I'm, whatever is uh, yeah, like first grade, second grade, all that stuff, right? Then you got middle first school, which is what age you go to middle school? Is it eleven? Yeah, around. I mean, it's with us. It's usually a, it's not so much because the ages vary. Right. But it's probably similar. Um, it's primary, you know, uh, kindergarten, primary up to fifth grade. Then it's sixth grade to right. eighth, which is middle school. Ninth right. grade to twelve. High school. So we've got the same. So we've got. So when you say sixth grade, we call it year six. So year six is um, eleven years old, right? Ten, eleven, yeah. and then you've got year seven, which is like eleven, twelve. Year eight, which is like thirteen, which is and then year nine, fourteen, and so on and so forth, right? But you guys have to stay all the way up to eighteen, right? So eighteen is high, seventeen, eighteen is high school, right? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Sometimes so, you know, you people were nineteen. Right, because you get held back and whatnot and all that stuff if you don't get the yeah. right. Okay, right, right. So you kind of like went up to 18. So after 18, you go off to college. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So you after were like, you were like, peace out after that. You were like, I'm gone. <laughs> done with it, done with it. Is yeah, I just wanted to be back with it sooner. Is it compulsory education up to 18? Uh, yeah, yeah. It's up to year, uh, well, year 12. The thing is, if you drop out, it's really up to you. Once you're 18, yeah, pretty yeah. much. It's Once you're 18, it's your choice. Right, I got you, I got you. But before that, you have to go, kind yeah, of. Yeah, if your parents want you to. There's also homeschooling options and right. stuff. But, yeah, it's if the parents agree to it and the courts and whatnot. That's I got you. So you actually have to get go to court to kind of uh, take yourself out of school. Um, in some cases, in right. some cases, if the parents and everybody agree to homeschool, you can actually do it through the school. And there's oh, all this. Oh, I, uh, I see. I see. I did it with my kids, so it was it was just a lot of signatures and signing and yeah, letting yeah. you know, letting the state know that you're homeschooling. Awesome. So you dropped out of school, uh, uh, and then what happened after that, man? Okay, that's interesting because I dropped out um, with that chip on my shoulder because they actually asked me to drop out, which I didn't like the yeah. idea, but you know, it is what it is. And I met a girl and um, I happened to have a child at a very young age, around the age of 18. So around the age of 18, I'm becoming a father, you wow. know, and living that lifestyle, you know, like I said, you know, it was, uh, drugs, drinking, and um, it wasn't, I wouldn't say I was over the top, you know, but I was doing drugs and drinking. And like I said, I had a child. And not long after that, I happened to get married. Wow. Because even, even not being uh, 
brought up Muslim, I always had that sense of, you know, that being the right thing to do. And I'm, I didn't want to have a child and a baby mama. Yeah. You know, I just didn't like that idea, you know, that I have this kid over there and maybe, you know, kid over there or whatever. So now this is my first kid and uh, we worked things out and I decided to get married around the age of 18. SubhanAllah. And, and, and um, was she Puerto Rican as well? Um, no, she was African-American. All right. Okay. Alhamdulillah. So this was, this was your wife. So you're married, you're 18 years old, you've dropped out of school. You got a kid, a boy, right? Yep, a boy. A son. Uh, so what happened after that? Did you? That's actually where me becoming Muslim came okay, into Okay, interesting. So what, yeah. what was your inspiration to kind of look into religion and, and actually, um, was it something that you've always looked at? Were you a spiritual person or was it something that, like going through, I guess, getting married? I know, I know I have, when I had my kid, um, yeah. I, I, I had my son when I was 21, 21, 22. So youngish, not as young as you, but your, your, your whole worldview changes, isn't it? You start to think, you look at yeah. things a bit different. So I just, I'm just wondering whether it's the same for you. Um, actually, it's really strange. Uh, my journey to Islam isn't the average journey to Islam. You know, uh, for me, it's, I've always had a sense of spirituality. Right. You know, I remember growing up, even as a child, like if I said something really wrong, yeah, I would immediately be like, oh God, I'm sorry. <laughs> you know, <laughs> so when I look back, say, Alhamdulillah, you know, Allah Ta'ala, and that's a blessing from him that um, I've always had a sense of fitrah, you know, just the, you Natural know, original way that people yeah. are, spirituality. And uh, around the time of getting married, about you know a year or two i think it was a year of into getting married i re i i remember i was i had gone to church and i left catholicism to christianity earlier so P puerto ricans are mainly catholic right like the spanish catholic, yeah. yeah 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 and i had a friend and i was in a rap group and you know doing music and you and gotta tell me the music. name bro you gotta tell me the name of the rap group <laughs> It's a, it's uh, it was called Mystic Liquid Click. It was just that's a rock um, group, bro. Yeah, it's, it was <laughs> Mystic. We what <laughs> I love that it was, uh, it was more like the De La Soul vibe. Oh, uh, okay, yeah, 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 more conscious, yeah, you know. And the guy went most deaf and all those, yeah, he went to church, so he he started telling me about Christianity and, you know, Catholicism has saints and that's not in the Bible, yeah. you know, and it's just Jesus. So I, I started going to Christian church and I became a born again Christian. Right. And, um, but after some time I started falling off. It, it wasn't for me. I wasn't mm. into it. Like I deeply believed in God. Uh, I actually enjoyed reading about history and the Bible, biblical history, Middle Eastern history. I really liked that. I loved philosophy, you know, uh, and really I enjoyed, uh, as we said, si you know, po politicking with my friends, cycles, yeah. you know, just talk talking about just life and uh, introspection and things like that and just society and yeah. spirituality. And I, I'll never forget one night with my wife, we were watching uh, 
a program on the Bible, and they were talking about just outside strange views on the they're not regular views of the Bible. You know, right. is there a code and you know things to talk about the future? And it sparked off uh, just that thing in my brain about man, like I haven't really looked at religion lately as much. You know, I was drinking and all that stuff and. I remember I told my wife the next morning, I, I want to search for God. This is actually what I told her. And she said, let's go to church. And my, I, I'll never forget. I said, you know, how do I know that God is in church? And she looked at me like I was crazy. And because the program was talking about the Jewish Bible, the first five books, the Torah. The Torah, yeah. You know? And the old, they call it the Old Testament, right? As well. Yeah, the Old Testament. Yeah. Yeah. And... I had this thought in my brain where, alhamdulillah, you know, uh, I praise Allah for this. I just said to myself, you know, and I had told her, if I grew up in a green room and all I knew was shades of green and I never saw another color and all I saw was green, 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 green. Could I, could I even fathom another color, let alone say green is the best and brightest? Mm. And she looked at me like I was crazy at first, but that was the thought that I had that, how could I, this was the conclusion I had one morning, and it's from Allah, you know, it really is, is how could I be so arrogant and say, it's, it's Catholicism or Christianity, everybody else is going to hell, I'm guided, they're misguided, and I know nothing. I know zero about what, it, what anybody else believes. It would just be pure arrogance. So I told her I wanted to read about other religions. So I, I got a Jewish Torah, a translation, obviously. Yeah. Um, and I asked some guys that were Muslim for a translation of the Quran. Strangely enough, they never told me anything about Islam because they weren't really, quote unquote, practicing. So were they your friends or is it just people you knew or? No, friends. Okay. Uh, you know, without naming names, uh, fellow yeah. weed smokers and drinkers. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so you know, I, subhanallah, to, uh, um, I don't want to interrupt your story, but subhanAllah, right. obviously for us, yeah, like, it's it's really strange the the way Islam and America has got such a long and intertwined history. Without, yeah. but but they, they choose sometimes to ignore it because we we all know that a lot of the black slaves that were taken from 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 Africa were Muslim. A lot. Absolutely. I, some say, I, I don't know, I think the majority, yeah? So... Yeah, three out of five. Three out of five. So you can imagine Islam has been in America for as long as Americans have been in America. Yes. Actually, it's, it's funny because I... Or maybe even before, I, actually, because... They um, say that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, go on. You're carrying your story in it, but it's just something that is... That always intrigued me. Um, yeah, actually, on a, on a very brief, brief side note, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I read about that. It was three out of five African, three out of five African slaves, um, because they came from West Africa. Many yeah. of them from the area of Mali, which is Timbuktu, and one yeah. of the oldest universities in Islam was in Timbuktu. You know, some of the um, oldest manuscripts of Islamic writings happen to be from that area. So in Puerto Rico. Most of the slaves were actually from there. They were Mandingo. Wow. So Mandingo. If, so fighting. Mandingo meaning 
<laughs> Meaning fight. Oh, I watched. I'm just. I'm just caught in Django, bruv. But I shouldn't take. I shouldn't take. I shouldn't take my um, history from uh, a Quentin Tarantino film. I don't know if you've seen no, Django. Actually, just, they, they they say that Mendengos were warriors. You know, so, right? Because they. No, Karen. Mendengo in my blood. Taino Indian, which were warriors, and then the the Nordic part, Austrian, Lithuanian, so even some Viking. That's it, so, yeah, bro. I'm feeling pretty. Um, but yeah they, this you know the slaves actually most of them were so islam has a history you know they even have um there's writings that are not famous of there's actually manuscripts of cotton plantations that were written the the math was written in arabic subhanallah the count of how much cotton yields were written in Arabic, which means the whole myth of African slaves in the Americas being ignorant, not mm. knowing how to read. No, they were very educated, many of them. Some of them were Islamic scholars. They have writings about them making sujood and all this counting rocks doing dhikr. But what they did is they, in order to control them, read the um, writings about Willie Lynch, because it even happened much later. But, you know, in order to control them... Sorry, who's Willie Lynch? Sorry. uh, Somebody who came with a program of how to, you know, um, control the the African-American Right, right, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's called the Willie Lynch letters. But even before, well before that, to keep the population under control, they wanted them to be ignorant. So reading was almost a crime you know such things like that but it's funny because the the history we're taught is like they had they were ignorant they didn't know math or anything when the reality is is this cases where the muslim slave knew more math than the master and could read and write and was taking it down in arabic so just aside no no i mean that's that's very important because i i remember when i used to teach um and I used to speak a lot to my black students and I would say, look, black history didn't start with slavery. Right. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, black history is rich way before slavery. Slavery is a footnote. If you take black history in, in its entirety, and that's the, that's the kind of illusion that, I guess, the, the, the white power wants you to believe. You know, and they're doing yeah. they're doing it again now as well. They're doing it again with Muslims now. They want us to believe oh, that we are somehow these barbarians that went spreading Islam with the sword, and we totally we choose to ignore the enlightenment we had. Like for example, in school here, we learn. So we go through um, the um, what was it the the Tudors, the Victorians, the um, you know the different the different ages in, in British history, right? They got World War One, uh, the Egyptians, sorry, the Greeks, and then they s- skip thousands of years where there was an Islamic Enlightenment, and then land in World War One, World War Two, and then so on and so forth, right? It's true. But we can't we can't expect them to teach us our history, right? So, no, no, I remember I remember once my son. Uh, my son came home with uh, some homework and they said that you have to draw a World War II poster, right? Uh, encouraging people 
to join the war. It was like an art project. And so I sat him down. I said, listen, yeah, I want you to understand something. You know, World War One, World, uh, sorry, um, World War One, World War Two. Do you know how many African soldiers fought and died in uh, World War One, World War Two? You know, like, because when, I don't know if you heard of Brexit. Yes. Yeah, so after Brexit happened, when, when, when the vote was counted and, um, like, the, everyone voted for Brexit, basically. Almost the next day, we were, people were being approached. Imagine, imagine someone coming to you in the street and saying, oh, you can go home now, pack your bags. Some random civilian. Because they thought right. that Brexit meant... And by the way, what's funny is we left Europe, yeah? We didn't leave the world, right? We left Europe. They're, and and who, who got the brunt of it was the, was the black and brown and Muslims and all these guys being told to by civilians who voted Brexit to say gal my country basically and but yeah. they forget so i said to my son don't forget that north africans died algerians died moroccans died libyans died in world war one world war two black africans died um so it's not something so when when you see these uh you know and during uh remembrance day and all this stuff yeah you don't really see that you know only now they're starting to kind of the narrative is slowly starting to change but it's yeah. more, it's more kind of, how do you put it? Um, at face value, you know, more, not at face value, what I would say, it's like a tokenistic, that's what I meant to say. So right. it's, it's, it's important. It's, it's funny because, um, you know, the, the history that even they do tell, yeah. they oftentimes Latinize it, Europeanize it. You know, we all know, um, uh, you know, if, you know, uh, what is it, Abyssinia, and Alvaros. Yes. Abyssinia, when it, they talk about the great enlightenment of science and, and you know, medicine, and you, it sounds like a Greek guy. You know, that guy's European. But, you know, blonde hair, blue eyes. Yeah. Abyssinia's Ibn Sina. He was Arab. Exactly. Alvaros was, was uh, Ibn Rushd. You know, and they, and they Latinize it. So even the history itself you know sometimes we get it's brief it's all brief 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 little little shots so you know it's up to us to educate ourselves you know one of my favorite quotes um is by uh um samuel l clements and he said i never let my schooling get in the way of my education mm. samuel l clements by the way is the pen name of mark twain right so he said, I never let my schooling get in the way of my education. So even me being a high school dropout, I educated myself on politics, world religion, um, economics, because I wanted to just simply because I was interested and I want to know. That's education. Schooling is a tool. It's a piece of paper. It's something that you, 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 you take it and you go somewhere with it, it's a proof that some professor somewhere said that you are able to do such and such, or you're skilled in the areas of such and such. But an education is much more than that. So half the time, I've actually noticed that I could go to a construction site and have a more meaningful conversation about world policy and more educated mm. than I can with half the college kids that go to school for such. Mad. And that's, 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 um, I understand why you do 10th Planet now, bro. <laughs> <laughs> Alternative information. That's it. No, I mean, but, but it's, 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 and the thing is, you speaking like this, yeah, 
you'll get labelled as someone who's quote unquote woke or whatever it is. It's ridiculous now. Like it's it's gone the uh, the complete other way, you know. Um, but okay, so you've you've dropped out of school. Did this, this so you you started to read into the world religions. So yeah. let's let's pick up from there now. And I the 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 what happened was is I got my hands on the Torah, the Torah, yeah. uh, Jewish translation because I wanted to see what they had to say, footnotes or whatever. Um, got my hands on the Quran and even. The Christian Bible, I was saying, I'm going to reread it. Yeah. I'm going to reread it. I'm not just leaving or something. I'm just trying to wipe my slate and start over, which is one of the hardest things for a human being to do. And anybody watching this, even besides jujitsu, just in general, one of the most beautiful things you can do for yourself is almost try to wipe the slate clean in the sense of try to view the world without preconceived notions and see what you see. And it's extremely difficult to do because us as humans, all we are is a set of memories, mm. you know, things that we learned that make us who we are. Very difficult to try to see the world without your preconceived notions. But I tried as hard as I could. And I picked up the um, Jewish Bible and I read the whole Old Testament. And then I would go on and read the New Testament. And then I would go on and read the Quran. Doing so actually made me extremely confused <laughs> because okay. I saw values, but I also was getting confused about how I was brought up, um, what was the truth, and I would pray all the time. My wife actually had thought that I was going crazy because as a non-Muslim, I was constantly praying in by myself and it's funny because there's a hadith that mentions something and I've, i i almost get emotional every time i mention it because and i all i, I oftentimes forget the um, name but the prophet had told us about someone before islam who practiced hanif and if you know my story it's so similar that when i first read it i actually cried because what happened was I decided to go to a Jewish synagogue and a church and make phone calls and ask all types of questions because I was getting confused. I went to a synagogue and exactly the way the hadith goes happened to yes, me. Yes, the, yes. the rabbi actually told me, I'm not kidding. He said, have you looked into other religions like Buddhism or whatever? And I'm like, well, I have, but I'm here. You know, that was my thought. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And this Jew, I want to know what Judaism and he actually told me, have you looked into Islam? Yes or no? I'm like, I mean, so a rabbi, uh, the, the rabbi. A rabbi had told me, like, looking into Islam was like a good idea. Wow. And at first, it had me kind of vexed. Because in my mind, I wasn't Muslim yet. Mm. So in my mind, I'm like, why is this guy, like, telling me about Islam? And I'm here trying to learn about Judaism. You know, because my heart wasn't set yet on Islam. Yeah, of course, yeah. And I, I was actually more reading the Torah. So in my mind, I'm like, why is this guy trying to kick me out of, you know, like, what is this? And then I, I started be part of your club, man. Well, I started thinking to myself, and it became very obvious when I researched Judaism more, you got to be Jewish to do yeah. Judaism. From and your mother's side, right? <laughs> right. And if you convert, you know, without the history... It's kind of like, are you really Jewish? Yeah. 
so it's like that kind of had me a little off, especially when I was told, like, you know, like you should go look into Islam. And I, I was like, could I come back? And you could tell he wasn't really into that. Right. So I looked back into Christianity, even Catholicism reading, and I was more into the Christianity thing. And I called up, you know, pastors and uh, ministers and asked questions. I even visited a church and so on and so forth. And in my readings, I got really confused. I tried reading the Quran, but at the time it made no sense to me <laughs> because any, any Muslim's going to know exactly what I'm talking about is I just opened up any page and I remember reading say, right. you know, say, say, and we know now I know that the Prophet when he received the Wahi, the revelation, yeah. Allah Ta'ala, God Almighty would say, say to, to the people. I didn't know that at the time. Mm. So when I read the book, it said, say, and I'm thinking to myself, like, am I supposed to say this? Is this like a prayer? Is the book telling me to say? Is it instructions? I thought it was telling yeah. me say. So I, I was really confused with that. I just closed it. I'm like, okay, maybe not now. I got to research more about what this book is about because I think that's like a prayer part. I thought that it was telling me to say. Um, you know, to fast forward, I remember um reading along and i just got so confused i had learned though that the jews believe in abraham السلام, the christians believe in abraham and the muslims do so i just read the jewish torah and followed whatever abraham did and i swear i swear by allah wallahi I started making sujood. I started prostrating, and I didn't know that Muslims did that. Mm. So what, what year that was this? Was it in the 90s or the 90s. 2000s? It was in 19, you know, for those who are watching, I, I'm 43. <laughs> so I was born in 78. Um, I, it was 1999, I believe. Yeah. And I... I was making sujood. I was praying on my face, but I would put my hands like this with my face to the floor because I read a verse where it said he put his hands up, but in another verse it said he prayed there. So in my ridiculousness, I put two and two together. Um, almost about three times a day, I would pray in sujood. I'd pray prostrating, following Abraham, knowing nothing about Muslims. And I had read that he believed in one God, absolutely one God. And one day I just came to a conclusion. There's one God. And I don't believe that, you know, um, Jesus, peace be upon him, is the son of God or God incarnate. I just, that's my conclusion. That's what I came up with by reading the Old Testament. Okay. And that's where I was. And I had picked up on a program on TV about religion. And I was watching one day, and subhanAllah, this was really a pivotal moment. It showed an old man making the event. And, you know, the old man beautifully, you know, Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar. Yeah. And it, it was just like nothing I ever heard. It was the most beautiful thing I've ever heard. It was so ancient. And... You know, it spoke to me, and I'll never forget. I even know what my wife was cooking. She was in the kitchen. I was sitting on the couch. She was making beef stroganoff. I, like <laughs> it's such, a, you know, like that moment in your life where you can just immediately see it again. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I remember the man-made sujood. It showed Muslims praying, 
And I said her name was Tamika. Allah yarhamuhu. May Allah you know, bless her and give her paradise. I mean, she was a beautiful person. And she, you know, I remember I told her, I said, Tamika, come here, come here, you got to see this. She's like, what, what? I said, just come here, I'm cooking. Said, just, just, give me a moment. <laughs> so she came in our small apartment. This kitchen's right there anyway. And she looked and I said, look, 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 they pray like me. They pray like Abraham. <laughs> Little do I know, I pray like them. But I said, look, they pray like me. They pray like Abraham. And she looks and is showing all the Muslims making sujood. That just did it. I had to know. I had to know. Because they pray like I do. So immediately, she's like, oh, what, are you going to be Muslim now? I said, maybe. I don't know. Like, this is, this is real. This is interesting. And I started reading the Quran. And, you know, fast forward, me and Tamika were reading the Quran on my bed, like knee to knee, like just sitting like this and passing it to each other. When I got tired, she'd read it. And I would read it. She would read it. I remember three in the morning, we would read until three in the morning, we read the Quran, like how people binge Netflix. We binge the Quran. Alhamdulillah. And it just spoke to me and it got to the point where the issue, not issue, but the subject of Tarheed and Shirk. That's, you know, you, the unity of God and worshiping other gods, more than one, became a thing. And it just spoke to me. I'm like, I know there's just one. There's just one, but not in the way that everybody on earth believes just one. Like, I mean, one, no sons, no image, no no coming to earth and making personal visits yeah. <laughs> you know, that, that spoke to me and i wanted to know where's the messaging so i remember the earthquake in turkey you guys should know you know we're around the same age yeah Tur turkey had an earthquake and there's that famous image of the masjid that's still standing right everything yes. floored to the ground yeah i remember that and i remember even the news Non-Muslim news stations like CNN in America even were saying, that's like America. Because if you see the image, it still exists all over the internet. Anybody wants an Iman booster, watch that. <laughs> if you remember, everything is, I'm talking about nothing is standing. It is floored, destroyed, and the minaret itself didn't fall. It's, it's a masjid of amongst rubble. Everything is gone. Same thing happened during that tsunami, if you remember. Yeah, the tsunami, I was going to say that, yeah. You, you can see the foundations of buildings and not even the minaret fell. You know, so that, I was like, wow. But it's it's from Allah. It really is. God said, the number to a masjid was on the paper. It said the people of, Sal Sal I can't pronounce it for the life of me, Salemani Mosque in Suleimani Methuen. Yeah, Salemani Mosque in Methuen. They, they had it in a town next to me. Oh right, it was praying okay. and taking donations. To so the Turkish mosque. Yep. I took that, ripped it out of the newspaper, made a phone call. I visited rabbis, I visited priests, pastors, everybody. I've asked questions, looked into Buddhism, Rastafarianism. I want to know about Islam. When can I come? And they said, come around, blah, blah, blah time. I visited the guys that I know that happen to be Muslim. And they, I just asked them advice, like, you guys are Muslim, you let me borrow the uh, translation of the Quran. Yeah. Any, I, you know, anything I should know before going, because I'm visiting the mosque. 
told my wife, you know, you might want to cover your hair out of respect and at least, you know, cover your arms or whatever. Don't wear shorts, you know, cover your arms. Yeah. Out of respect. So we did. And that has to be the greatest moment of my life because I went into that masjid and I had the intention of just learning. And I said, could you just explain Islam? I've, I've sat like this with a rabbi. I've sat like this with a priest and a pastor. I've, I've grilled everybody. Just explain Islam to me. Just, I want to know. I've read the Quran. I'm in love with it, in love with it, but I just need to know. And he was explaining the pillars. He was explaining, you know, we believe in angels. We believe in the books. We believe in the prophets. But the thing that got me the most was the Tawheed. When he mentioned, we don't believe God has a son. We believe God is without image. You know, we, we believe that, you know, even to think about what God looks like is sinful. That spoke to me. I'm like, you know what? That makes sense. We can't even figure out the human genome, let alone black holes in, in, in the universe. <laughs> yeah. They say, you know, scientists say that a black hole, light does, it gets this light and time and space itself gets torn apart and you're expecting me to believe there's an infinite amount of those and you can figure out what the creator looks like yeah no i'm sorry you, you know so in my mind you're like who or what created that you're not going to get an image your mortal mind can't fathom that kind of greatness so the islamic view of who god is and then to find out the name allah was neither feminine nor masculine. Yeah. Where everything in the Arabic language is feminine or masculine. But the name Allah, you, you can't even put a designation for a sex because a sex is animalistic. And God is God. He's not a creation. He's the creator, but not the creation. And he's separate from his creation. Done. For me, that was just, say no more. Say where do no I more. sign That's up? Exactly, that was the attitude I had. Say no more. I looked at my wife. She was to my left. Again, I can remember so vividly. And I told her, you don't have to follow what I'm going to do. This is my choice. But I am going to become Muslim. And she looked at me, the beautiful woman that she was, and she said, I want to be Muslim with you. So we took our shahada, a declaration of faith, in unison. Mashallah. And I became Muslim on that day. And I will never forget the ride home. It was around Asr time. The sun was like orangish, very beautiful day in the summer. And I remember her driving because I said, just drive. I'm like, I was just too in emotion. Yeah. And I remember telling her if not that I want it to happen, but if this car were to crash right now, I'm good. I, I just I, in my soul of souls, I'm good. I okay. like I get it. I know where I belong now. I know what it is in Islam, alhamdulillah, I praise Allah. It, it, it seemed like I knew it, although I didn't know it. It seemed so familiar, although I never heard it before. And that was always how I felt when I read the Quran. It's as if I knew this message, but I didn't know it. You know, and that goes to speak for our primordial state before we were born. SubhanAllah. So well, you had your kid at the time as well, yeah? This is Your kid was yeah. already born. How old was your son at the time? At the time, he must have been about 
one or two. Oh, so he's oh he was a baby. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah he was about two years old, I think. Uh, okay. Changed his name from Anthony to Muhammad. Mashallah, mashallah. And uh, he's how old is he now? Oh, he's twenty three year old man. Twenty three, big man. Mashallah. Does he train? <laughs> hmm? Does he do, does he do jiu-jitsu? Uh, he he's tried. Before. He dabbles. He, he, yeah, we just to impress his dad. <laughs> He'll <laughs> get on the back just to try to have a, a moment. You know, yeah, 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 yeah. Mashallah. But you strangle him, obviously, isn't it? Oh, yeah. yeah I couldn't, I couldn't Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, I okay. let him believe he was a little better than, well, oh, you did good. Yeah. I really struggled with the So, now you've got a new chapter of your life now. So, you became Muslim. And then, so how old were you at the time? I must, uh, I was about, yeah, I was about 20. Because I remember laughing, which is kind of funny for everybody viewing. I remember laughing like, always was looking for a way to get alcohol. Always trying to find somebody <laughs> 21. And then when I turned 21, I, yeah. I, I, I became Muslim and I won't touch the stuff. <laughs> There's a bit of funny irony in that. Yeah, 100%. Man. Alhamdulillah, alhamdulillah. 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 Good. So, yeah, so I guess now we get into a, a, a different kind of trajectory now. So, you've become Muslim. I know you said to me you went to Egypt for a little bit, learned Arabic and all this. So, when did that happen? Well, um, and I'll do a very quick one. Yeah, how did, I, how did it go from becoming, you becoming Muslim to like get into. After becoming Muslim, uh, you know, I wanted to have more community because where I'm yeah. at, there's not much Muslim community. Yeah. So um, I had learned about Ahmed Didat and Zakir yeah. Naik, and I flew out to, to go to an actual debate with him and a Christian pastor, and they were going to debate about religion. And I went to Chicago and loved Chicago. There was a huge Muslim community, mostly Desi, South Asian. Yeah. And I had eventually moved to Chicago. Right. You moved to Chicago. Right. So okay. what happened? You moved to Chicago in a Desi neighborhood. Uh, yeah. Was it mostly was it mostly Bangladeshis, Pakistanis, or Indians? It was Pakistanis and Indians. Right. Okay. Yeah, it was Pakistanis and Indians, and I moved there, and that's when September 11th happened. So I was actually, you know, I'm Muslim pre-September. Yeah. So that that was a really strange thing to be such a new Muslim and see. So how long you know, after September 11th? Uh, I mean, between you becoming Muslim and September 11th? Almost about like two years, I think. Right, if okay. I remember. so relatively years, new. Like year, year, two years, give or take. And um, wow. You know, I mean, I actually watched the second plane live on television. So did I, man. Uh, my hmm? So did I. No, oh, you did, yeah. Yeah, was, yeah, yeah. That was crazy. I remember... My wife's friend from the Muslim community, uh, uh, Jamila, she had called my wife and my wife said, Jamila said that um, somebody, you know, somehow there was a mistake and a pilot hit the, wow, they hit the tower. You know, that's what everybody thought, that it was a mistake in the landing or something. Somebody's flying too low. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Some yeah. Mistake. And when I saw that second plane, I'm like, oh, wow. The whole world, you know, like what is going on? So what time was it? Do you remember what time it happened? It was early in the morning. So for us, I, mean, I remember coming home from school, uh, from college, which is like um, high school. So I was about 17. Um, right. And I remember seeing the second plane hit. And I was like, yeah. what the hell is going on? 
Right, because nobody saw that level of never, terrorism before. Never, never. Like, to be honest, we didn't even know what seen, terrorism was before that. Yeah, but it's like, for me, like, we've seen, we've heard about, because, you know, in America, they, you know, the same, similar group, you know, actually did the Twin Tower in the basement. You know, yeah, the bombed, like, 90, 91, I think it was. Right, and and so it's like, people saw it before, yeah. but not at that level, and it's like, in your face. And you got the Oklahoma bombings as well, right? The the white yeah, supremacist yeah, guy. Yeah, and, building. Yeah, yeah. But everybody always saw the aftermath. Yeah. yeah, it was different to see a plane take down a building live. Like, it's what crazy. is going on? And then when you heard about, like, oh wait, now it's Washington. There's another one. Yeah, everybody in America, we were looking at the sky. Everybody, because you heard that there's these planes just crashing. I remember going out for some milk, and you just looked upward. So it's you were in like, Chicago at the time. Yeah. So, so excuse my ignorance here, yeah, but how far is Chicago from New York? Oh, that's ours now. Oh, okay. So, yeah. Right, right. So, is it down? Uh, It's down to the east. Right. Okay. New York is. New York is. Down to the east. Oh, see. Um, So, Chicago is more, is near Canada, right? No, I said not. Yeah. That kind of way. Yeah, it's more towards Canada, Lake region. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. So, yeah, I remember that happened. And, um, you know, immediately being muslim was just like public enemy number one man yeah and my wife had started wearing a face veil Oof. and if you know anything about my wife and me is we were never the type to back down it's like i am who i am and i'm not changing because society has a wrong idea yeah, yeah, yeah so she was just not having it. she's like look i made this decision i wear a face veil on my own choice i'm not taking it off because people are tripping so there was all types of things that happened. Fast forward, we were denied apartments, although accepted on the phone, credit check, you know, the apartments cleared, saw me and my wife, she saw my wife, they're like, oh, the apartment's not cleared. We dealt with things thrown at mm. us from cars. It was just awful. We moved back to New Hampshire. So just to give you a bit of an idea, Daniel, yeah, over here, um, the next day, so September the 12th, I was on the bus and a woman came up. This is the first time I ever f- experienced something like this, yeah? Before, it was just regular racism. Right. Yeah? Now you've got another layer of you being Muslim, right? So I remember the next day, I was on the bus, and this woman, it's like, I would say in her 50s, maybe 60s, came up to me, and she was like, you should be ashamed of yourself. That's what she said to me. Yeah. I was like, confused. I was like, what do you mean? She goes, look what you guys did. I was like, wow. Being 17 years old, I instantly knew my, my life is going to change forever. Yeah. And collectively as a Muslim community, our lives are good. That's it. It's, the, the world is different now. Yep. But anyway, That's so... actually similar situation happened to me. Yeah. How is Same it? Same thing. I, uh, yeah, we, me and my wife were... Actually, we almost got ran over. We, we were walking down the street in Chicago and a car swerved onto the sidewalk, grabbed my son, me and my wife, and went like Whoa. this. And really went on the sidewalk, went off. And um, this woman got out of her car, very like butch looking woman, you know, and she was just like, you people did this. And my wife was like, did what? Like, we didn't do anything. What are you talking about? And, you know, at that time, nobody really knew 
So we were still convinced the Muslim couldn't even do this. So yeah, we're like, yeah, yeah. how do you work with the Muslims? Like, get out of here. So the lady, you know, she drove off. Man, I don't remember if she did that first or after she yelled at us, but, you know, on the sidewalk. And my wife ran after the car, like, looking at the license plate. And then there was these people. And I'll never forget, she was almost in tears. And she looked at all these people on the sidewalk, like, just average Americans. And she's like, she's like, you know, like, why? Why? And, you know, I remember those people like, yo, sorry. And I just, mm. I'll never forget that that moment, that same thing. Like, I just knew at that moment, like, somebody just tried running me over with a child. Crazy. You're like, yeah, it's done. Like, this is not a great place to live anymore. Yeah. Which brings us on to another subject. Yeah. After that, I decided, you know, I'm, I don't think I want to be an American anymore. You know, I'm Muslim. I always wanted to learn more about my religion. At the time, I actually wanted to be a student of knowledge. Okay. You know, I, I really wanted to pursue learning Arabic and, you know, studying the deen, studying the religion. So, you know, we moved back to New Hampshire. I got a job. I was a butcher, but I cut through my um, thumb and cut off Whoa. the tip of my finger. So I got really bad nerve damage in this hand. You want to beat me in a fight? Just do that to my, to my finger. And so... <laughs> is that why you don't do gi? <laughs> oh, that... yeah. Gi is often in this hand. Yeah. So yeah, maybe that's the reason I do that. Yeah. <laughs> but um, so what happened was um, you know, I, I was working jobs doing uh, you know, butchering and stuff, and I cut through my hand, and then I had to leave that job, and I'm in between jobs, and I had moved back to Massachusetts, and there was a guy with a Islamic website who started saying he needed somebody to work, and you don't even have to have knowledge, but he had a system of a, a program that one could, he could teach them how to use to update the Islamic website. It was supposed to be the ultimate Islamic website with forums and news and yeah. everything. And um, I actually got the job and moved to Texas. Right. So at this time now I have two kids. I have a daughter and my son. And moving to Texas, he actually realized it was too much for him to afford paying for me and running this website and working his own job doing programming stuff. So he had one day asked me, you know, Daniel, would you like to move overseas? Cause I will decrease your pay, but overseas it will actually be a lot more. Right. And I knew people in Egypt. So he said he lived in Egypt for a short time. He's like, you could live off of $300. Yeah. And I'm like, get out of here. And I, I asked the people at the time in 2005, that was actually true. You know, it wouldn't be the greatest living, but you could do it. So we had ways of earning um, money because I had owned a tea business, but we were taking funds from that because I was going to shut down my tea business and he was going to pay me like a little more than $300 a month to see if I could pull it off and he'd pay for the flight and everything. So Daniel, and we did. every time you open your mouth, I hear another like interesting, but have you had a tea business? Yes. <laughs> he just smoothed past that one. I was like, yeah, I had a tea business and also did this. And so this tea business, just just, that, just a nice little side note. Like, we don't have to go too deep into it, but like, what's the deal, bro? I wanted to, I wanted to, um, you know, own my own business. And yeah. I was really into, still, I love a good cup of tea. Right. Maybe I'm more... <laughs> but, uh, do you add milk to I it though it. that's the thing huh do you add milk to your tea sometimes no actually i don't 
Yeah, that's the only difference. <laughs> I don't like- yeah, like I went when I was in Algeria. Um, I remember we said I said to them, look, we add milk to our tea. He was like, ah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's yeah, the yeah. response. Yeah, can't do that. That's actually the Daisies do that, but the Arabs don't. Yeah, do that the Arabs time. don't mess with that milk. Milk only in coffee, yeah. but yeah. I, I, I'm the same way. I like I you I'll do it sometimes, but I like the tea black. What's your What's you your know? um What's your favorite blend? Oh my god! Don't even get started. I, I like I like everything from Earl Grey. Yeah, but I also like uh, sometimes matcha, Uji Gen matcha green tea, and then anything from even this such thing. Believe it or not, get your hands on some sometime. This Japanese black smoked tea, which is okay, absolutely phenomenal. If you want a good cup of tea, try that sometime. Do okay. yourself. I'll make some notes. Man. <laughs> I remember me yeah, and Zach. We used, we used to have a we used to have an office in um, what was it? Bethnal Green. It's a place. I would call it like Little Harlem. Yeah. I say Harlem. What, what's the most um, gentrified area of New York at the moment? Is it Brooklyn? Right. Oh my God! This. Nowadays, I can't even start. I don't know everything is. Yeah, yeah, but I mean, you know, Brooklyn was like the, in, I think in New York was the, one of the first gentrified, started to get gentrified. Yeah. So Beth New Green was the same, like you got Hackney, which is where we're, we're, we're from. Um, it's kind of like, I would, I would compare it to like Brooklyn in New York, even though Brooklyn is probably 15 times the size of Hackney, but um, it started to get gentrified and there was this like tea shop that means that used to go to and get the, um, They'd have like, if you can imagine, the whole wall would be filled with different, you know, blends of tea and stuff. Spots. Yeah, yeah. So it was just two white guys that lived on a canal boat. Proper, proper hipsters, man. Do you remember those guys? Yeah. <laughs> Love, yeah, Love yeah. those tea. kinds of people, man. <laughs> we used to have that. And then they would give you like, um, so what they do, they give you a teapot and they'd give you this like um, hourglass. So you turn it over and they say, once the sand. Once the hourglass is whatever, what's, what's the word? Uh, finishes, you kind of pour the tea. It gives you enough time to brew it and all that stuff. So it's very kind of nerdy. So yeah, that's why, yeah. I, that's why I said to you, like, you know what? Let me see what his tea knowledge is like. So it's on point, bro. So you, so you yeah, had this tea business. Was it in Texas you had the business? Um, Actually, it was in Massachusetts and I brought it with me to Texas. Right, right. But right. doing the job, I actually had to kind of like stop it. But my wife did um, another part of the business. It was called Bashira. You know, so um, and she did uh, natural herbal remedies to help women get fertility. She actually helped three women get pregnant. They did testimonials on our websites. So we created a website and I started selling tea and importing um, and exporting. I actually had some customers even in Britain, strangely enough. It was was becoming something, but I wanted to focus more on the website. Um, And I did move to Alexandria, Egypt. Awesome. I mean, I was, I was so happy. I was in a Muslim country. I could hear the Avan. I wanted to cry. Like, oh my God, I could hear the Avan five times a day. Like for Muslims, any Muslims that might see this, who are living in a Muslim country, know how blessed you are for that. (laughs) Just know how blessed you are just to hear the Avan five times a day and perfectly normal to make your salam. Yeah, you know that you don't have to search for somewhere to go make this a lot. You don't have to watch your back to make your salah. 
anywhere and everywhere has somewhere you can pray. Yeah. That right there is a blessing. You know, a lot of people look at the West and see the dunya part and see that as mm. a blessing. Where us who grew up in the West, we actually look at the Adhan and being able to pray anywhere at any time with anyone. And everything is, is halal as well. Everything's halal. Um, oh, you know, it's interesting. Two, around 2005-ish, a lot of, I don't know if, did you meet a lot of British brothers over there? A, lot, a big contingency from... <laughs> The UK went to, I know there's a lot of brothers that I know went to Egypt to study in the yeah. Jamaia. Was it Jamaia it's called? Uh, Jamaia. Um, there were there were different schools. Right. I I knew about Cordoba for the Arabic learning. Right. And um, other other ones, but what I started doing actually was working for the website. And as long as I got the job done, like the it didn't matter if I got it done in five yeah. minutes, yeah. an hour, or all day. So what I do is crank out. I get some tea, drink it, and just crank out work in less than two hours sometimes. Mashallah. And just go play in Egypt all day. That's, that was my <laughs> life and study. So I, I, I was starting to go to the dars of uh, Sheikh Yasser Burhami and Sheikh Mohammed Ismail Al-Muqaddim. And um, I was just trying to learn Arabic, but it was hard because I'm very stubborn. Mm. And I was not trying to learn Egyptian Arabic. I'm like, no, I'm going to learn Fosha or nothing. <laughs> And I could start understanding some things in Egyptian Arabic, but it was really my Arabic knowledge was absolutely awful. I could get by with some things, but it was really difficult. And um, the kids must have loved it, man. Oh, the kids loved it because I eventually moved from the city and went to a village. Wow. Right outside of the city. And it was the first time I could actually let my kids go to a shop by themselves. Without, yeah. Just by themselves because it was. Everybody in the village knew me. Mm. And it, the beauty of that is touch my kids and you're going to have a village. They're, they're going to kill you. Yeah. You know, yeah. so, it's like it was a village policed itself. So my yeah. kids were safe because everybody on the block knows the American kids and knows Daniel the American. And yeah. alhamdulillah, I have a very good relationship with everybody. And um, did, they have the, the, nice. did they have the milk in the bags? Yep. You know, exactly. Yeah, the keys. <laughs> I used to Bortqal, Bortqal for keys. You know, I wanted That's the it, uh, orange juice and the and the uh, uh, sugar cane in a bag. That's it. Everything's in a bag, man. Yeah. No, unless you glass mugs or in a bag. Exactly. So it was Alhamdulillah, but in the transition of an apartment going to another apartment, I actually something happened where it wasn't finished being built. And subhanAllah, I'll never forget this point in my life because this was really the increasing of my iman and my faith. It was just amazing. Sometimes tragedy actually brings you the best moments of your life. And I left my apartment and went to another one where I was supposed to go. And they said it wasn't built, but I was extended over on the other one. And I had to ask my friend who was building an orphanage who did a lot of charity. Right, And this brother of the law, he actually, we would donate sometimes. And he was in the, in the middle of finishing it, but it didn't have a roof on one side of the okay. orphanage. And he actually accepted, like, you know, bro, I'll give you that place to move into. On the outskirts of the village, it doesn't have any hot water. It was in the middle of Ramadan. I didn't have a place. I didn't have internet access. So my job for the website yeah. wasn't happening i was living off of sandwich meat spread cheese 
and bread. And I hadn't even e eaten rice for almost a month. And me and my wife actually said it was the most beautiful moment of our life because it was Ramadan and we were fasting and we barely ever could eat anything than other than corner store Egyptian food. Yeah. Book. Was it, it book, just, bro? The spread cheese. Huh? That spread cheese that you ate, was it book? Was it called? Yeah, the white, exactly. The, you know it, yeah. The white one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And we spread it on the Egyptian Aish. What's or, that? Um, it's these long bread. There's different. There's Aish and then there's other types of bread. Right. And we spread it on there with the luncheon meat. Right, And we right. literally ate that every single day. And it was Ramadan. And anybody that knows Egypt and Ramadan is you get woken up by the guy with the drum telling yeah. you wake up to, you know, make, you know, CM, wake up for Fajr, you know, the event, and then make your, you know, before that, make your CM. And everybody gives them a little donation at the end of the month or whatever. That's Egypt, you know? And Crazy. I was living in a place that had no streets. It was dirt road, muddy, cold, you know, uh, mosquitoes everywhere. My wife would get her abaya and put it over the edge of the door so they wouldn't get through the window. And strangely enough, it was one of the greatest moments of my life because sometimes when you're bereft of everything, you turn to Allah Ta'ala. Mm. And the closeness that you get to Allah Ta'ala when you have nothing, you know, and anybody that knows our religion and reads the seerah, the story of the Prophet Sallallahu knows that Aisha, the wife of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi you know, um, if you read the Mukhtasir uh, of the Sirah by Muhammad ibn Abdul Wahab, you know, Rahimahullah, uh, he actually had mentioned in his Mukhtasir that, um, you know, at any moment Allah Ta'ala could have rectified that situation and said that Aisha during the ifk, the slander yeah, towards yeah, her, yeah. and showed that she didn't do what they said she did. But instead, some time progressed that even the prophet he had he had asked her yeah you know and allah ta'ala had her wait and he actually explained why so that the heart turned away from relying on people at all until the heart completely relied on allah ta'ala mm. with absolute reliance on allah ta'ala and sometimes in our lives, if everybody would take a lesson, sometimes we read the stories in the Quran, in the stories in the Sirah, and we read them by themselves as the shell of a story without extracting the meaning. And in that story, every single one of us can just, if we would remember it when it's time to remember it, that when you are going through the most difficult time of your life when you feel like you have nothing, that is the time to turn to Allah Ta'ala and inshallah you will find the greatest of Iman at those moments. Amen. You know, so that, that was one of those moments for me where like I, I could actually look back at the time when I'm eating nothing and say that I've never felt so close to Allah Ta'ala. And my wife even said, she's like, I, I have like an increase of Iman. And we had moved somewhere else and, you know, we could get into that in another podcast. Yeah. But, you know, a place that earned me some trouble and I went to prison and <laughs> for my actions. But um, we had moved somewhere else. But I remember she even said, when we move, I actually don't want to move somewhere with money. So yeah. we think about going to Dubai. And she's like, I actually don't want to. She's like, I want to live amongst the poor. poor. I've grown an affection you know, an affection for the poor. And I actually like this life. You know, I want to live simple. I want to live amongst the people of Allah Ta'ala. 
you know, because, you know, Allah Ta'ala, we know, you know, that the poor people are oftentimes closer. Yeah. You know? And, and if you um, look at uh, historically, when, for example, Jesus, who followed him, it was the poor. It was yeah. the sick. It was the weak. Same thing with the, you know, if you look at all the, uh, those are the ones that follow first. Yeah. And then the and people of power after that. Yeah. Yeah. And there's a wisdom even besides just the fact that oftentimes the poor are more in faith. There's also a wisdom in it that goes beyond that. That when you live amongst those who have less, you oftentimes appreciate what you have of more. 100%. You know, because nowadays we live in the age of social media and everybody's saying, why can't I have? Yeah. Why can't I have that? Why women? Why can't I be as pretty as her? Guys, why can't I be as big as him? Why can't I have his car? Why don't you look at the fact that Allah Taala gave you two eyes, nose, lips? Allah Taala gave you health. You have two legs. Why can't you think about the fact that you're going to bed in a warm bed? You ate some wonderful food, even if it wasn't that wonderful. You ate food, and this yeah. is the problem of the modern age that we don't you know, appreciate, we're always looking at those who have more in an unappreciative manner when reality is we should always look at those who have less and you will find that the world is in front of you. You know, so. So you lived that, man. You lived that. You went through that. And then I know, yeah. I know there was a point where your uh, the situation with your, your wife, if you can just go a little bit, like yeah. how, how did you deal with that, man? Well, my wife um, overseas had caught Malaria. I did too, but she didn't survive. And it's a situation that I don't even know. I was I wasn't with her, you know. I was doing something like I said. I don't mind saying that I landed me in prison, but um, she actually had been buried in an unmarked grave somewhere, evacuating another country. And um, I learned when I was actually in prison, overseas, that my wife had passed away, and I was allowed to see my kids very briefly. And my kids actually gave me a lot of the information that happened that I found out from one of the Muslim women that was with her, that her last words, actually, I believe it was even a British sister, believe it or not. Um, but um, her last words actually were, could you open the, she, she was going through fever and hallucinating. And she said, could you open the door of the car for me? And they asked why. And she said, so I could see my husband. Oh and my she had God. passed away and they buried her somewhere um, in a like, jungle on the side of the road i had happened to be already incarcerated how did that um, feel man worst feeling in the world because my wife happened to be my best friend yeah a lot of guys used to joke with me and say hey man why don't you hang out more like you know like inshallah but the reality was because my wife happened to legitimately be my i know it's a cliche but she legitimately was my best friend like she was my wife, but my best friend. We did everything together. Like we chop it up and hang out and talk and laugh. And sometimes just cutting vegetables, getting ready to cook was the time of our life. Like the simplest things were the most beautiful things because she was my company and I was hers. So like true soulmate, you know? And um, May Allah unite you, inshallah, bro. Uh, in the hair inshallah, yeah, bro. I mean, and um. It just tore my heart out. I, could, I couldn't even believe it was happening. I remember even making the aisle like, oh, Allah, like, don't let this be the case. <laughs> you know, so, like, I, could, I couldn't comprehend it. But I remember, you know, I just had to ask Allah Ta'ala for patience and forgive me for my impatience and, you know, my tears if they got too much. And it was, it was, it was really hard. It took a long time. And, you know, asking my kids what happened, 
you know, do they know? And my son didn't know. And my daughter saw her mother get buried. My daughter was only about um, five years old. And I remember her saying, I said, do you know what happened to mommy? And she said with the tiniest little voice, little adorable baby, you know, she's four, no, five. And she said, mommy got fever. Mommy got sick. They put mommy in the ground. Mommy went to Allah. And that just, bro, to have to have your child say that to you, just wrecked me. And um, you know, eventually I would be brought back to America and incarcerated. And um, I was in Houston for two years, and they put me because of my charges. They put yeah. me uh, in solitary con- confinement for two years with no human contact. Because sometimes people think about the hole in the modern hole. If you want to imagine it, it's the size of a large bathroom with a desk, a toilet with a sink that's attached stainless steel, a bunk, but you're alone, and a stainless steel shower, stainless steel shower with a window that's like very thin. Yeah, I've seen it. And it's actually like scratched out except for one little part so you can see out and get some light and... um, People get some misunderstandings and they oftentimes think like, oh, you went to lunch with other people. No, I didn't. It's a bean slot and they give you, you don't come out. At they say all. 23. Huh? At all. Nothing. No, you. They call it 23 and one. Because one hour you can go to rec, but in the hole, rec is a cage that looks like a dog, dog kennel cage on top of a building. So sometimes you don't even want to go out for what? People say fresh air, get out of the cell. Once you get used to that thing, you didn't want to go. So, yeah, you had no no human contact for two years. You know, so not even the gods. No, the gods because they're behind the. If if you want to call uh, shackling me up and bringing me to uh, when you do cell rotation, cell rotation is every twenty three days. So you're not like you know clawing out like a hole in the wall. They do a cell rotation. You know, but so, um. So they. T- so it's the cell that looks identical to what the, uh, the cell that you, you're in. Yeah, I mean, people, like, if it's a corner cell, sometimes it's bigger. So after two years, or after a year and some change or whatever, you get used to knowing what's good. So you're like, yo, I like one-on-one. That's the, uh, the handicap cell, and there's no handicap guys so because they need a wheelchair. You always yeah. want one-on-one. And you see, that's how long I was in there, that I actually could tell you what cell is what. One-on-one is great. 123 was a corner cell that was pretty good. So it's the corner cells, sometimes they're bigger. And sometimes if it's one in the hallway, you're just looking at a wall, but sometimes you can see across to other cells and wave people down and, you know. You, That's nuts to me, man. Yeah. Two just, years. Yeah, no human contact. So, so what would you get up to, man? Obviously you got your five salah. Did you allow to have a Quran in there or yeah. any books yeah, or any? Books had to be paperback ordered from the publisher. Right. And then you could, you know, they had a book cart. So I read everything from, I actually, I never liked fiction. Yeah. But, you know, in that situation. You read everything, bro. Fiction, yeah, give me fiction because it's sort of like watching TV. Yeah, yeah. Did you have TV? You know, it's like, that's my bench. Did, did you have <laughs> TV at all? No. No TV? So, uh, Nothing? They did give you little radios so you could listen to FM and you could order it on commissary. And my family sent me some money. So... You could get like, it wasn't Doritos, but like similar chips like Doritos, um, uh, and um, and then you could get mints, peanut butter, saltine crackers, 
um, these little candy things, and it wasn't much at all. You know, stamps and envelopes and stuff. What kind like of that. food did you get? Like the food that they, they I mean, give. I mean, Wednesdays was, was it halal? Day. Was it halal? Yeah, you had you had uh, you could get kosher. common fare, which was like kosher. Okay. And then you had the regular ones, which was uh, you could get no pork. Regular one, and that's like hamburger day, chicken, and all that. I got uh, common fare, which is like kosher, and um, it, it, you just try to mix things up with commissary. But you just like again, again. Sometimes the greatest moments of your life, in retrospect, were you had the least because you gained the most closeness to Allah Taala. It was the most soul wrenching moments of my life because I just lost my wife and went through. The grieving yeah. process in inside solitary confinement—that's yeah. nuts. You can't man. Only imagine. Couldn't take a walk. Couldn't talk to somebody. You know, and then you know, besides my wife, a lot of my friends died. You know, if you know the situation yeah. in which I went to prison for, I saw death. I, I've saw enough death to appreciate life. I've saw death at a massive scale, massive. But the amount of violence that I've seen is a human be being should not have to see. You know, but Alhamdulillah, Allah Ta'ala has kept my faculties. And, um, you know, that's do, the do first thing get, that I actually asked for. Do, so, sorry, Daniel, to, to interrupt, bro. Um, do, you, do, you, do you still suffer from any sort of um, anxiety or, you know, related to your incarceration? Or like, you know, like... Uh, sometimes I wonder if it is because I don't get the anxiety that some people talk about. Like they, they're really freaking out. They don't PTSD, know they that type of stuff. Yeah. But like, I will say that without a doubt, you know, I, it changed me. I know that like, you know, I don't think it's just the sol solitary confinement took some time to get over because being around people right. was really difficult. Other prisons, like you just, I remember my mother saw me in a visit and she hugged me and I didn't like it. my own mother hugged me and I hated it. Like just to have somebody touch me like that. It was too much. It was just kind of like, okay, okay, he's back. That's how I felt. I didn't show mm. that, but you know, in my head, I'm like, ah, okay, okay, okay. He's back. He's back. So bro, I just, uh, <laughs> so I'm going to ask you a lot of questions about this because no for me, it's intriguing. Yeah. Cause so you, so, so you went from solitary confinement. So and that was what, what, what year was this? You're looking at two, 2008, something like that, right? Um, 2007 to 2008. Right. So, so you're by yourself. Then you go into, I'm, I'm guessing it's called general population or gen pop, whatever it is. Yeah. Yep. And this is in a supermax prison, right? Yeah. It's like a supermax prison, high, like high end. Like so what kind of, what kind of prisoners do you get in there? Usually, like, people that are, uh, have been involved in very serious things. You know what I mean? Like, usually some sort of organized crime. Right. It doesn't always... It's not what people think. It doesn't mean it's, like, always, like, like just guys that want to kill each other and yeah, all that. Yeah, yeah. It's usually, like, very high-level, you know, people involved in very organized things that they don't want them amongst too many codes. So, so uh, was, there anyone, was there anyone like that we would know? that you were like that was in that prison at that time um nah not always it's 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 weird it's like not everybody's always so famous but i usually don't talk about that part because i don't know what guys 
you know, some of the guys that I know. Oh, right. I see what you're saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Makes sense. Makes you know, sense. Some, some people are weird about that. They're just like, I don't want no family knowing that I'm No, no, situation. of course, of course, of course. Yeah, that uh, makes sense. Some people, it's very, it's like high end. Like they didn't want people to like know where they were or whatever. Yeah. And it was, it's weird in those kinds of facilities. Like a lot of the times, like it's, there's a lot more movement. When you're designated, you usually don't move. And there was a lot when more you say movement. When you say movement, what do you mean by that? Like, like you, people would transfer. Oh, I more. see. Right, right. Usually, right. When you, you're, you're there. Man. Usually, a regular prison, man, you're there. Like, unless you do something to get out where you try to be close to your people, your family. Yeah. yeah but now yeah. you sometimes see people come and go. It was re- really weird stuff. But the kind of uh, charges that you get, you know, to end up there, I guess that's, you know, what, you know, that, that situation. Um, so you sat down. So, so right, we say here in England, you sat down for how long in prison? Um, altogether, it was a, like nine years and some change because I did get I get, did get a lot of good time because I made I made a promise to my children, I'm gonna stay out of trouble. Yeah, alhamdulillah, you know, good. You know, try to see if I can navigate without fighting and stuff like that. Stay out of trouble because, to me, I'm like you know I just I, I want to see my, my kids. kids. Yeah, their yeah. mother died. And they lost their father to prison. Yeah, yeah. And these yeah. kids need me, so that was a top priority. Alhamdulillah. But, so you, you know, you, you it, came it, out it in was, 2014, roughly. Yeah, I got out in 2015. 15, sorry. So we can smooth past this whole prison period, yeah, because, um, like I said, it's another podcast. Maybe go, maybe go and uh, what's that guy that interviews mobsters, bro? What's his name? Uh, Pat, Pat something. I forgot his name, man. He's in America. Right. The Iranian guy, uh, <laughs> he loves to interview. But for me, I'm more interested in, for example, now you've done, look, you've made, you've made your debt up to society. Right. You've reformed yourself. You're coming out. What was it like leaving jail? So you know that the actual getting processed and, you know that we watch a lot of American movies here. There's that whole thing that they let you out and then someone comes and picks you up, right? <laughs> and then yeah. you're kind of like, okay, you got your bag or your effect, your personal effects, and then that was of, real. Yeah, so just just talk to us about the just that bit, and then we can carry on with it. Now we get to the jujitsu journey, your martial arts journey, and all that stuff. Good point. <laughs> yeah, the good part. Um, yeah, uh, I got out actually very atypical. You know, like um, even actually looked very similar to the movies. It's kind of funny because there was a huge like they brought me down these hallways and hallways and hallways, and I've never been except for intake. I got, I went down those hallways in intake yeah. and I didn't see them Until, except for when I left. That's nuts, So, you man. know, I have my bag and all that stuff. I got to wear my free world clothes and, you know, and I actually had met uh, a sister while I was in prison and we were talking through letters. And so we were actually intent on, we'd get married when I got out. Yeah. So I was excited to see her on like Skype. Yeah, that was like, oh my god! Like you know, so that was a huge part too to see my kids, see my family, see her on Skype because she was living overseas. So uh, Daniel, never- just a quick thing, yeah. So in those, in that time you were in prison, Facebook came out, Twitter came out, Instagram came out. Um, the whole world kind of changed, man, because it's like, do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. I, how how real is the? the kind of um, you know Shawshank Redemption when the guy comes out that uh, the old guy and it's like he went in the 40s and 
one of my favorite movies. Yeah, amazing film, right? What was it as stark as that? You coming out and thinking, what the hell is? Why is everyone on their phone and what's the smartphone? Yeah. Or did you it, it, that bad? Yeah. It was. It was weird. It was very strange because I knew because we had a TV room. You could see TV. Yeah, yeah. You yeah, saw yeah. What happened in the world, and you would even see COs in the bubble looking at their phones. Right. And I remember looking window like yo even on like tv people doing this thing with their screen yeah yeah, yeah. when i was out like you could sit there and play a movie on your phone play video games that look like real video games you could sit there and make camera calls and legitimately a good picture like what's yeah. going man like that was just wild to us you know um and when i got out it was just it was, it was weird, you know, like I, I remember being ready and then the huge like lift came up, you know, just this enormous like thing because it's, you know, trucks are supposed to be able to go through. Oh, so you and, came out the cargo bay? Yeah. Kind of. And and I remember they had to bring me through there for whatever reason. I don't know. I, then again, maybe they do it with everybody. I don't know. But there was a reason I thought, I think I remember them saying like we have to, something's being done. Or, I don't know if it's construction or washing. So I went through there, I had my bags, and my, my sister was picking me up. And right. as it went up, 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 I saw their feet. And I That's seen nuts, I man. I told the brothers, if you guys see me, you know, on the side, there's a window you can kind of see. Guys bang on the window as hard as possible. But I used to tell them, I said, I don't care, man. I'm making Sajid Shepard right in front of everybody. I don't care who's there, what they're doing, what's happening. Man, the second I got out on the street, I made some Jude Shooker on the street on the brown um, road where everybody's driving on. I was like, man, I'm dropping, man. I gotta, I gotta, I gotta thank a lot to Ireland. And I just remember hearing those women. Boom, boom, boom. <laughs> like, and my sister. And this was in Texas. No, no, this was actually in New York. Okay, right. Yeah. So, um, because I got transferred after the Texas deal. Right, so, right, um, right. I. You know, I actually became the imam of the prison and everything. You know, so but that's another story. <laughs> so I was the imam. I, you know, so I was giving the khutbah every Friday and stuff. But um, I I remember going to my my sister had brought me in the middle of the city, New York City. We went to New York City, and I remember going walking down the street, and even on the sidewalk, the car zoop. I'm like, whoa! Just everything's moving fast. Yeah. Yeah, everything's moving fast. And, being in prison, everything's always so close. Walls are so close. So mm. to see down the street so far after that long time, because you got to remember two years of solitary confinement and then like being where walls were never so far off. So it was just like, wow, to look down an endless street was That's really crazy, weird. man. And That's to funny. be around people was weird too, because, you know, when you're locked up, it's dangerous you know like dudes fight real easy everything's about self-respect and you know like you know don't just talk to me anyway so it's like to have people like walk right up on you like wait in line right behind you you kind of feel like bro you good? <laughs> like you know like you always had like i had to that that even now is difficult like people how they talk to you because people like everybody in in prison is coarse yeah, and I actually, or not, I'm always checking. I'm always trying not to understand this. Anybody that talks to me know that I'm always in a constant struggle to be polite, mm. because in prison usually it's like people just talking to me like, "Yo, bro, like you for real? Seriously, man, you crazy?" And that's your friend you talk to like yeah. that. Like everything's just coarse and just rugged. 
very coarse way to talk to people. But strangely enough, unbeknownst to most people, you are very respectful at a certain level. Like you can joke and you can talk coarse, but you don't disrespect a man. You respect his property, you respect his space, you respect, you, all, you talk to him a certain way because it will lead to a fight most of the time. So coming out, always difficult how people just talk to people any way they want like without fear of consequence that was very difficult for me to calibrate even now sometimes it's worse now isn't it yeah because it's like people get real lippy and i'm like twitter fingers you know you're gonna talk like that to me yeah yeah yeah, yeah. and i'm not saying i'm a violent person but it's like wow you just talk like that with no fear of repercussions And I, you know, but you got to keep it in where it's just like, it's not a problem. Just chill. You can't do that. You can't live like that. Just walk away because in prison you can't. You let somebody talk to you the wrong way. Yeah. You walk away. You're a chump. And now everybody's looking at you like they can talk to you like that. So you're going to have a bigger problem by letting it slide than if you didn't. And you think like, I would just let it slide. I don't want to believe it or not. It's a different world. You can't unless you want you. By getting into one fight, you reduce a hundred fights, yes. and it's a sad truth, you know. So you youngsters watching this, don't go to prison. Trust me. <laughs> Everybody thinks it's all cool until, you know, the only and, and and we'll move on from any other subject. But just to describe it, if any anybody dealt with that situation where like you were about to get into a fight or something really horrible, or even if you were really younger and you got in trouble and you got to talk to your mom and dad later. You know, or like there's this kid you're going to fight later or your big brother's about to whoop you. You remember that anxiety, that tension, that awful feeling of the cops are looking for you, that really bad feeling something bad's about to happen, you know, the precipice of it. That's every day in prison. Mm. That's what you feel every day until it becomes a norm. You wake up strapping up. It's a heightened Mm -hmm. sense of anxiety, basically. It's it's fight or flight. Like you're just at the edge. Yeah, every day. And then to, ex- to, to explain time, minutes move like years and years move like minutes. And if you want to really know what living in the hell of prison is like, have you ever been somewhere where you look at a clock and you're like, I won't look at the clock. I'm not going to look at the clock. When I look at it again, we'll be two hours into going home. It's like school. It's, yeah, it's like school. If you're, if you're in a math lesson that you hate, and then yes. it, it's an hour, but it's actually four hours in your head. Yeah. And imagine this. Yeah. That's every day. Imagine if you want to know what that does to your soul, that tension of fights and violence and trouble, and then the clock moving slow. You know, and I remember Michael Falcott in his book, uh, Punish and Discipline, when he was explaining the Quaker method to um, solitary confinement. And he quoted somebody who visited somebody in solitary. He said, I see your cell is nothing but a horrible sepulcher. Whereas rather than worms, time gnaws away at you. Hell in anticipation. And that's prison. But. How'd you memorize that, man? Huh? How'd you memorize that, bro? I memorized things that I really like. (laughs) That's interesting. Was it like, obviously... Did you, were you always a reader or is this something that you picked up in, in when you were incarcerated? Um, Islam made me a reader. Alhamdulillah. So before I didn't that, read much at all. okay, before that, you didn't read. 
Islam got me involved in geopolitics, economics, world, um, you know, anything that's happening in the Muslim world, which then reflected the whole world. And I just got into everything from um, economics and, you know, not really so much economics, sociology, you know, philosophy. When I was, before I was Muslim, then I kind of got away from it after being Muslim, but just wanted to educate myself on really everything. It's strange, just. It's no, it's good. It's a good thing, alhamdulillah, man. It's, it's yeah. just, uh, I just love listening to, like I said, I love listening to people's stories and how, you know, they get to where they are, you know. So let's pick up where you left off now. So you, you've come out. Now let's go yeah. to your martial arts history now. Yeah, and that's, that's and actually we're, and we're going to bring it home because we're about, yeah. we're going to bring <laughs> okay. it home. The thing is, I could sit here, this is the thing, um, I could sit here for another two hours with you, 100%. And to be honest with you, we can do another podcast. I don't mind. Do you see what I'm saying? Yeah. But um, I want to get to your kind of, uh, your martial arts history. And then we yeah, let's take it home. Inshallah. Okay, this is really cool. Immediately when I got out, I learned that my son was invited actually to an MMA gym. Right. And I was like, I want to buy that MMA stuff, but specifically a lot of the grappling part. Because in prison... I don't care if you're the toughest man on earth, you feel so vulnerable. Mm. And I don't care, I don't care what kind of tough guy someone is, they can't lie and say they don't. Because even if you're the, the toughest guy in the room, people can make a weapon. Yeah. Or people can jump you, you know, all at the same time. All of them can stop beating on you. Or there's always a better knockout artist. Yeah. So it's, you know, just keeping it real and being perfectly honest, you know, and nobody can deny this. You go to prison, you feel vulnerable. They used to joke and make a, uh, they used to make a comment where they said, you know, even if you're the biggest killer, all, you, you're checking all your guns at the door. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. You know, you could be Mr. Murderer. You, you check that gun at the door. You didn't come with the gun. So you better know, you better <laughs> know what you're doing. Well, actually, my, my son... He was, was invited, invited sorry. To yeah, yeah, invited yeah, he was getting into all types of trouble. He right. started drinking and smoking weed and not trying to be Muslim and all that stuff. That's oh. all on Sunday. May Allah Ta'ala guide him. I mean. Um, which broke my heart. But um, he started getting into all that. You can imagine no mom, no dad. Kids at school, you know, grandparents raising you. Is he okay Really, though? the reality is the kids at school raising you. Yeah. You know, internet age. So, you know, but I heard to get him out of trouble, one of the local coaches at an MMA gym invited him. Okay. And one of the things, like I said, in prison, you know, I don't care how tough you are, oh, that's, it's a scary situation. You know, everybody wants to talk about, I don't fear nothing, be big tough guy. Bro, it's it's natural to go into a place and go, wow, I, I, I'm in it. I'm in it. <laughs> I'm actually in it. Like, these dudes don't play here. You know, and, you know, everybody here, a lot of them have bodies they've killed before. It's like, this isn't a joke, man. This is serious. So you learn real fast. Like, you better have an idea of willing to go. You know, at when, time, when the green light's on, you better go. Or it could mean your life. Or at least get knocked out and horribly assaulted. So, you know, getting out taught me like man that's important knowing how to defend yourself and even though i always felt i could fight you know throughout my childhood i always was getting into fights street fights but you know and and my father was a golden glove boxer so i grew up with boxing gloves in the house so he used to teach us you know basic mechanics of 
you know, defense, self-defense, but it wasn't like we were like, like the best, you know, kids on the block, yeah. you know, but I always, I always did well, you know, in, in street fights, you know, I always defended myself well. Um, but still being in prison and even just witnessing that level of violence, yeah, you know, and even just whether being part of or witnessing it, oh my God, like you really start realizing what works and doesn't work, what's realistic, what isn't. You've seen violence at a scale like, you know, fighting. You've seen fighting at a scale that you've never seen before. So um, I, I remember, and this is going to be interesting for everybody who does jujitsu. I remember there was a dude who happens to be Muslim and he's out now. Um, we called him Ant. Right. Or Ali. Right. And this dude had to be he was that guy, you know, that guy in the prison. And if you're going to go, if you're going to shoot him a fair one. Yeah. No knives, no group, no nothing, no sneak attacks. If you guys are going to go in the cell and go for a fair one. He was the guy that like, yeah, you might not want to do that. You know, he we saw him beat mercilessly some of the biggest ogre looking guys i'm talking about like shrek <laughs> size i mean I, i'm being like i'll give you just to give you an idea there was a dude that was just like like you had to look up in his arms <laughs> like the size of my legs and ant outboxed him like just beat him to to no end like i mean where are the gods him? man huh where are the gods at Oh no, you go because this you politic yourself in prison. There's the, there's prison rules and then there's our rules. So sometimes you talk to a dude, you know, you let him know, like, yo, you want to go to the room, you're talking all that talk, come to the room and you keep it low key. Oh. And then you have guys tell him, like, yo, look out. Like me and him are gonna go to the room, you know, watch for the guard, you know, bang on the door real quick. Let us know. I'm gonna bring him to the room. And there's all types of scenarios, like don't walk in the room with him behind you, sneak attack him, you know? Right, so it's right. just like, you know, even you enter the room a certain way, maybe you shut the door, sort that thing out. <laughs> sort that out. You know, we're gonna, let's go to the room. So, you know, and sometimes, you know, guys, we saw a little what happened, because there was times where we went to the room, the door slid open, and man, and with those hands, that was like, oh, it was like Mike Tyson. It was, it was ridiculous. And I'm never knuckle. Yeah, bare knuckle, brutal, bloody. We've seen, I saw people get slashed in the face with, you know, makeshift razors. And a guy's nose got filleted. Like, <sighs> the nerve. Yeah, it just got cut right down the middle. I've seen horrible things. So, suicides the whole night. Whoa. But, uh, so, I remember um, Fat Ant, yo, he, he was brutal. And he had told me once, because sometimes in the TV room, you could catch, like, the MMA fights, like, the low key ones, you know, certain channels, sports channels and whatnot. So I remember he told me and he had that grimy street talk. Yeah. And they cooked, you know, so he told me like, yo, you know, that's how he talked, like bro, little bro. That's what he called me. He's older. He's like, little bro, I don't fear nobody with these. That's what he told me. He goes, I feel like in the whole prison system, nobody, when it comes to these, nobody, nobody can touch me. Is it a New York guy? <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, around that area. Right, right. Right. So he told me, he's like, but, but, he's like that ground game. He's like, I'll be honest with you. That's the only thing that scared me is those dudes in MMA that can do that ground thing, whatever that is. <laughs> you know, he had this weird way of doing this. It's like, whatever that's thing. He's like, yo, that's the stuff that I feel. Like, you know, if one of those guys knew they throw me on the ground, I don't know what I'm going to do down there. 
And that stuck with me. Yeah. That stuck with me. I'm like, this man, I've never seen a more vicious, calculated fighter in my life than this guy. This is a guy that people fear going one-on-one with. And he was afraid of the ground game. Like, not afraid like that, but, you know, like he knew he would lose. Yeah. And that, that struck me. So, anyway, fast forward, I get out. And I learn about this MMA gym. I like to try MMA in general. Yeah. Jiu-Jitsu is perfect. And they actually told me, yo, you, I went there. Like, hey, you know, got out of prison. Hope that's not a problem. You know, want to try this out. Want to do MMA. And he's like, well, the MMA program for adults kind of like fizzled a little. Right. But you start, if you really want to start MMA properly, you start from the ground up, literally. You know, Jiu-Jitsu takes the longest to learn. You know, it's more complicated and if you pick up striking all that stuff muay thai you know wrestling you're gonna yep. get jiu-jitsu muay thai boxing dirty boxing all that stuff sambo you could do that later start with jiu-jitsu was his recommendation and i did and i'll never forget the first night i tried jiu-jitsu i put on a gi and i go in there and um there was a guy named lee looked like this he's a white guy looked like an office worker, you know, very polite. And if you were to look at me and him, especially, I was actually much bigger when I got out of prison. I, lost I can imagine. <laughs> yeah. And I'm not talking about fat. Like, I was just yoked. So you were... Uh... Compared to now, yeah, just, just always working out, yeah. you know, push-ups, and all types of doing pull-ups on things. You get your mattress, create makeshift weights. I was big because you just eat and work out. So I was much bigger. Um, and you look at this guy... On the street, you're like, oh, my God. Daniel is just like, even attitude-wise, wreck this dude. So I knew that I'm dealing with something that I've never dealt with, dealt with before. You know, as a Muslim, alhamdulillah, we're taught humbleness. So yeah, I understood, even from studying being, you know, that this is something I don't know. Expect the unexpected. But still, the animal instinct of, man, I'm bigger than this dude. I'm coming out of federal prison. And what I did to go to prison, like. I'm, I'm, I'm at least like grab him and hold him at least like I'll I'll be able to control him somewhere or another. He might do some sneaky stuff, but I'll, I'll be able to figure it out. No, not at all. <laughs> not at all. <laughs> was he a white belt? I, bro, no, he was actually a white belt. Oh, he was a white belt. Was, yeah, he was a white belt, but he had some stripes, brother. When I tell you, this guy, it was literally one of those. We all know it. We all know it. Who grappled? Tat, you know, slap. Bump choke. That's what it felt like. Slap bump choke. <laughs> Slap bump choke. I was just like, yo, this guy on Barbie, triangle choked me, rear naked choked me. And I just, I was like, there is nothing. No matter how much energy I exert, no matter how much I try to think my way out, there was nothing I could do to him. Like, I was taken aback by how swiftly this guy could just destroy me at any minute. And being from a prison warlike mindset, it's like, man, if this how, was how tall are you, I'm Daniel? I'm about 5'10. Five, 5'10, ten. Five, ten, okay. Five, ten. So, like, I'm looking at it, I just, I never will forget, like, thinking to myself, at any moment, if this was mortal combat, <laughs> if this was, if this was life or death, yeah, you'd be he dead. Killed yeah. He killed me about seven times. And there's nothing I can do about it. I was really fighting my way out of it. And I knew enough. I'm not stupid. I'm like, even if fists were involved, he was just wrapping me up like it was no joke. Gee, 
no gi techniques alike. And it was I had nothing I could do about it. At that moment, then I remember in an Eddie Bravo interview, Eddie mentioned this for his first day in jujitsu. And I, I'll have to repeat it because it's actually just true, I think, for all of us. Your animal instinct is going to come through. Yeah. And it's going to be fight or flight. You're either going to be that guy that got so humiliated. He's like, I, um, I can't show my face and I'll never speak of this. You know, people will ask you, well, how's that MMA stuff? No, bro, it's not for me. I'm, you know, I'm a street fighter. You know how that goes? You know, I'm a street guy, bro. It just makes some stupid excuse for why that happened. You know, um, it's either fight or flight. And for me, like I said, Eddie mentioned this in an interview, and I have to say it's the same mindset. You're telling me I could learn this? That's how I felt. Like, wait a minute. I could learn to do this to somebody. That's insane. Because it, it was done to me. So I know it's real. You know, mm. it's not like some fake, if I do this, this will happen to you and I'm just playing along. Like, no, I fought for my life and I couldn't do anything. I need to know how to do this. This is real. I love it. And um, it was. it's all a go from there. I literally was training every single day that I could. And I was actually one of the reasons that the gym started a more open mat because I just kept on bothering the black belt. I'm like, listen, can we get more open mat? He's like, there's not enough guys. I was like, I'll rally the troops. <laughs> so <laughs> I was just trying to get as many people, come on, let's do open mat. I learned about Nogi. You know, oh, I was way more into so that. So Daniel, I just, um, a quick question. So who, who was um, the, the instructor? What, what kind of uh, background was he? Was he like a Gracie Baja or... Was uh, it, or was he BTT. just a, a what, sorry? BTT, Brazilian oh, top Br team. Brazilian top team. Okay, right, yeah. right, right, right. With the Brazilian top team black belt named Roger Wu. And he was also an MMA instructor, you know? So um, his credentials were really good, you know? And, you know, just, oh my God, man. I just, I just immediately got into it. Now, it's funny because even when it comes to this. Yeah. It, it, it's funny because originally I was BTT in the gi, but I started falling in love with no gi. The speed and veracity of no gi was just, I loved it, you know? And yeah, this is usually a part of debate. So buckle yourself, Sam. <laughs> Daniel's unpopular opinions in the grappling world. Or maybe popular, depending what you guys are into. But coming from prison, even with martial artists who are black belts, I'm like thinking to myself, like, yeah, you do not necessarily my instructor or anything, but like many people who got yeah. into the debate, you know, people would all the time be like, you wear clothes in the street. Cause I was getting into no gi and people would tell me like the best guys are in gi. Even the best no gi guys are guys who come from a gi background. You know, gi helps you no gi. I heard that debate. I heard the debate about, um, you know, um, that, you know, control, it's more difficult. So therefore you learn that. And then uh, all types of things about why gi is better. And, you know, people wear clothes in the street then. And I'm going to be honest with you, coming from prison, all I could ever think about when people said these things, trust me, I know what street fights like, man. <laughs> yeah. Like, you know, like if you've ever been locked up in a federal prison, you see more than enough of, what real fights that are meant to maim look like mm. and whether clothing works and no doesn't work in which way does it work so immediately i understood that you know no gi is more realistic in the sense and here's the thing everybody who loves gi that might see this 
hold your horses. Don't jump to conclusions. Let me explain myself. <laughs> so it's, I started falling in love with Nogi and felt that it was more realistic for the simple fact that everybody says you wear clothes in the street. And in Gi, a lot of guys will start matches by grabbing, right? Yeah. We must understand that if you are in range to grab, you are also in range to get hit. And yeah, in jujitsu, when you're grabbing clothing, he's going to grab clothing. But in a street fight, they don't know jujitsu. And in street fights, people are headhunters. They don't even do body shots. Yeah. So nobody's going to fight you in the street, grab clothes. You're going to grab their clothing and they're going to say, oh, well, he's doing jujitsu. So I therefore must grab his grips as well. That's, that's not how it goes. You grab someone's shirt, they're going to punch you directly in the face. I knew that. So immediately, you know, I, I, I started looking at that like, huh, you know, like it, now here's the thing. If after close clinching, overhooks, underhooks, wrestling shots, getting him to the ground after being clinched up, yes, could you grab a collar and choke someone? By all means, yes, you could. Could you grab a jacket and manipulate him by that and hold him down and get a good grip and even, you know, do a, you know, any type of rendition of a gi choke? You could possibly if the, if the um, shirt or jacket is thick enough. But the initial confrontation, self-defense-wise, should be a no-gi wrestling-type confrontation because people can strike in the street and people aren't going to be playing grip-grabbing grip with you. So you about, grab them. It's about gonna, clinching. You know, yeah. It's clinch. I think, isn't 10th Planet based off clinch? Yes, it's, it's all about clear because I heard Eddie speak about it as well, like and m multiple, and he talks about the clinch and how he likes to build everything off being in a clinch yeah. of some sort. Well, um, even on the bottom or yeah. on top. Yeah. When and this adds to what I was seeing. That's why when I got introduced to which we'll, we'll get to. Yeah. When I got introduced to Tenth Planet, why I fell in love with it, even when I was a gee guy, is um, the way that Eddie teaches it. And I totally agree. Is when strikes are involved, yeah. You, playing an open game is not a good idea, and we've seen that. Put, get somebody in your guard, wrap your legs around somebody, and get them in guard. They can still punch you. Uh, let's remind ourselves Connor putting Habib in guard and how well that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Habib just just nailed him talking. We could even hear the. Let's talk now. Yeah, let's yeah. talk now. Bro, like, not a good idea. But if you have a guard where you can bring them down, clinch them, and you know how to move from clinch to clinch, now we're talking. That's you why I would have loved to see him. Sorry to keep cutting you, Daniel. Uh, that's why I'd no, love to have seen Tony versus uh, Habib. Yeah, Do you know what I mean? Every grappler, every grappler worth his salt. Yeah. Because I was thinking Tony's happy on his back. And he's got a wicked clinch. I was just clinch. about yeah. to say that. Everybody yeah. says, oh, Habib has gone against wrestlers and grapplers. Yeah, but Tony is a master off his back. Yeah. Like, he's one of the best off his back. And I think his, 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 his elbow strikes from the bottom as well. You know, all this type yeah. of stuff. You know, uh, like, I'd love to see... Not saying he beat him or not beat him. It's just yeah. every grappler worth his salt. Says, I want to see how Habib, awesome. what I would like to see is how Habib would have solved that puzzle. That yeah. for me. Or how Tony would have like, because we know what Habib does, right? He 
you know, close the distance, take down, grind you up uh, against the cage, you know, side control, uh, what mounts, wraps the legs, starts to ground and pound, work that, you know, work that whole kind of yep. scenario. Now, with, with Tony's wrestling background as well, I'm not saying it's just the same as Habib's, but I'm saying yeah. he has wrestling, and plus yeah. he's got the whole uh, working. Office. But it's just really interesting, especially at his peak. I think I think I don't know what happened to Tony after you know all those postponements, and then I think who did he fight after that? I can't remember um, that he lost to. He lost against Gaethje, Thank right? Goodness. Was it Gaethje? No, no, I don't think it's. It. Hey, no, who I don't did think, he? No, no, I don't think he lost. Who was it? Yeah, Gaethje. It was Gaethje, right? Yeah, yeah Gaethje beat him. Yeah. It was. Oh, okay. It was Gaethje B. I'm, I'm, I'm off myself. Yeah, but it's interesting. I, I, like I said, it was just interesting just to kind of... Uh... But you know, you, 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 I, I digress, bro. Go on. No problem. No, it's an interesting subject because I'm, I'm, it was the fight that every grapple wanted to see. Oh. But, it broke um, our hearts, man. Yeah, it did. It really did. <laughs> but it's... Um, like I said, I, I got fascinated with the self-defense part of... Um, or or jujitsu in MMA. It's still a fascination of mine. Yeah. And that, you know, the reality of what would work, you know, if you're in MMA, it's a clinch-based game. You, you, if you do not clinch your opponent in MMA when on the ground, you're going to get struck. Yeah. And these are professional fighters who are pros at ground and pound. You better figure out that rhythm. And that, that, that struck me, you know what I mean? Um, and so back to when I started... I'll never forget. I'm extremely flexible. You showed so me last time, man. Yeah, yeah. I could do a full <laughs> load uh, you know, off my head and stuff. So I remember one day I was playing guard, and I'm new. I'm a brand-new jiu-jitsu guy. And one day playing guard, and one of the guys was on top of me, and he broke my guard. And I'm on my couch right now, so he had my foot like this. Whoa. And, like, he just had it like that. And my professor looked at me and he said, is that your foot? <laughs> and I'm like, yeah. And we kind of stopped rolling. And I'm like, yeah. And later on, he told me, he's like, hey, um, you ever heard the name of Eddie Bravo? And, you know, immediately, like everybody probably. Johnny Bravo. Johnny Bravo. <laughs> Johnny Bravo. Yeah, and, yeah, uh, yeah. Yeah, everybody does. Like, <laughs> Check the pecs. Do you remember that? <laughs> yeah. So... So exactly. Oh my god. So, so I'm like Johnny Bravo. He's like, no, Eddie Bravo. He goes, look, when you get home, get on YouTube and look up Eddie Bravo. I think you'd enjoy that. You know, as flexible as you are, that that'd be interesting. So this is what, yeah, what, what kind of Eddie Bravo was it? Was it Metamorphous Eddie Bravo? Was it um, like what year was this? Oh, this is 2015. 15. So when did he fight Metamorphous against Hoyler, bro? Um, I think he just did that. He just did that, right? Yeah. When he yeah. when he murked uh, Hoyler's knee, Drimba. Yeah, yeah. Everybody talks about it was a it was a top. No, it wasn't. Like if that was a points match, you yeah, never he saw would... someone get. He 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 just he survived. Like, I'm talking about. Wow, that was yeah. what really because Eddie tapped him out as a brown belt. Yes. In ADCC. See, this in is Brazil. The part people... In Brazil as well, right? In Brazil. Yeah. This is the part where people seem to forget how good Eddie Bravo actually is. Yeah. Hoyler Gracie, let us not forget. This is a man that nobody was scoring points on, yeah. let alone tapping out. This this brown belt, nobody knows the name of. Ends up on the mat with 
Hoyler Gracie. This guy got so many stripes on his black belt already, right? And he just triangle chokes. Mad. And, you know, people call it a fluke. Even Hoyler called it a fluke, you know. But um, people call it a fluke. Anybody who knows the grappling game, especially jiu-jitsu, yeah, there are no flukes when it comes no to flukes. positions like that. There's no flukes. There's, you don't just snap on transition to submission like that. So people were doubting. They were saying 10th planet's bogus. It's not real. It doesn't work. He got lucky. Even people who usually know there's no luck mm. in submission like that. Uh, the second match is what really made people go, okay, there's something to Eddie Bravo's style and system of jujitsu. Because before Danaher and them were even calling it a system, everybody Eddie Bravo called it the 10th planet system because yeah. it very much is a systematic way of viewing jujitsu. And he proved it to the world. You murked Hoyler Gracie with sweep after sweep after sweep, taking his back nearly, getting the neck cranks. Mm. It was just ridiculous that match. Like, wow. So but Hoyler was tough as well, man. Huh? Hoyler was tough not to tap to that. Oh, yeah. Well, people said his, his knee popped. Yeah, cause even Eddie said it. Eddie said that, yeah. like, I heard his knee, like, yeah. you know. He, well, he, if you remember, the announcers at Minamoris were saying, you're going to have to choke him out. He's yeah, not yeah. going to tap. He's, he's gonna never going to let that happen again. He will let his his whole let, leg break yeah, before that yeah, yeah. And you saw that. You saw that. Any 100%. other human being tapped. So, um... Back to my professor saying that, you know, he kind of opened the floodgates. <laughs> so, you know, he, he really did a job on me with that because immediately I fell in love with the 10th planet system. Immediately I was like, oh, my God, I'm loving jujitsu. I'm doing it every day. I signed up. I signed up for the teen MMA class just to learn the skills. But jujitsu was my heart. So after nine, about like nine months or something like that, doing like, like MMA, you know, Muay Thai, like figuring out how to do that. I just wanted to stick to jujitsu and I wanted no gi, no gi, no gi. I was the no gi guy of the BTT gym, right? Anytime I could take off the gi, I was like a toddler taking off his gloves. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah. Fling that thing off, you know? It's like, you know, okay, everybody want to roll? Like, you want to do no gi? Yeah, I was fling that thing off. We've got a few ready. guys like that at the gym as well, man. Yeah, everybody <laughs> knows those guys. They're always like, oh, let's just get in the rash guards. Open mat, I'm there like forcing people to know no gi. Like I don't, I didn't even bring my gear just to make sure somebody would be like, okay. There's one thing I don't so, ramp with Daniel, though, man. Was that? There's one thing we don't ramp with over here, man. You know what ramping is? It's a Jamaicanism, yeah. Ramping means we don't mess with. Okay, what's it's that? those guys with the spats, man. Oh no, I, I'm I'm the same way. Uh, if Especially Spanish, when you get I'm like north south. Excuse me, sir. Please. Bruh. <laughs> Uh, trust me, I'm the same. Listen, you wear I wear specs. Wear some shorts on your specs. Exactly, bro. Or even do what bro. Eddie does and put a gi bottoms on or something, man. Yeah. They come and look like a like, Power Ranger, man. That is too much, man. Bro. Yeah. Yeah, I'm the same way. Like, bro, would you, would you really? Please. You know? So, yeah. So it, it's low, uh, 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 low samat. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Like, come on, bro. Yeah. We don't do that. Here. Yeah. We don't do that. <laughs> but uh, um, I, so were you, I immediately got it. Were you doing both, Gi and then 10th Planet at the same time, or you kind of just left one and, and then... Well, yeah, it's it's weird how it happened, to be honest with you, and I'll, I'll make a long story short. I I basically started just, like I said, obsessed with jujitsu. I'm the guy that literally would go home and just spend hours 
in looking at videos and trying to figure it out. Yeah. I got a, one of those grappling dummies and I would just drill everything. I found Eddie Bravo, Bravo's book, uh, uh, Mastering the or System. Advanced Rubble Guard. Oh, right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. So I bought the book. I bought uh, Mastering the Twister. I bought Jiu-Jitsu Unleashed. I was looking at his videos. I was obsessed with every gi, no gi, but I was mostly just no gi. Yeah. I learned the 10th Planet System as much as I could on my own. I had no formal teaching in it, so it was trial and error. I started playing Lockdown. I started playing Rubble Guard. I started playing the truck. I started becoming the 10th Planet guy, even though I wasn't 10th Planet efficient. Yeah. Because everybody knew, you get in my guard, you get put in rubber guard. If I get half guard, I'm going to lockdown. I started doing competitions and tapping people left and right in, in lockdown submission called the electric chair. Like, I actually have a highlight reel just wrecking people with the electric chair. Where's these rubber highlight reels, man? Huh? Where's these highlight reels? I want to see them, uh, bro. It's on my, it's on my uh, personal page. Oh, uh, Zach, bring them up, bro. So it's uh, well, well uh, Daniel's like explaining uh, Daniel this stuff. Daniel ten feet, and uh, there's a black and white one way in the bottom. Okay, he's gonna bring it up in a sec. Yeah, he's gonna bring it up. So yeah, yeah so you're so, you're doing this. Uh... Okay, let's have a look, man. Yeah, there's some stuff way at the bottom. Right at the bottom. Way down. Yeah, you'll... it's gonna take some time. It's not none of those it's down, 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 down. So let's see. Yeah, keep going. Yeah, you're going to have to keep scrolling. I've been on Instagram. So it's been a while since I was locked up. <laughs> so yeah? there's some of some of those ones. Oh, Dean yeah, Lister. Yeah, you know what? OG, man. Oh, yeah, I'm with Dean Lister. I love Dean Lister, man. I was asking him about the 10th Planet System, what he thinks. So watch, scroll down, I'll tell you which one. Uh, um, you could hit any one of those. These are the earlier days even when I was in BTT. Hey, man, you're not invisible, bro. Yo, I can't see you, bro. <laughs> Thank you, bro. Imran's, uh, Imran's uh, what's it called, bewitched, man. Oh, he's bewitched? Yeah, so you see the Okay, chair. so I see that, bro. Just so, you've got the, so you've got the leg on... on isn't that a banana split, bro? So you've got that, you've kind of underhooked the leg, right? Yeah. And I I was just getting, you know, and that, by the way, this is, this is my early days in jiu-jitsu. So I wasn't even, in my view now, I wasn't even good at it. I see you know the BTT I mean? shorts, I bro. Just, I was, and look, I even throw up a 10th planet <laughs> symbol, even though I wasn't 10th planet yet. So you could see that. Um, Similar. Okay, what's this like, one? Talk us through this, bro. Um, that was me actually. I think uh, it's a became a blue belt. So I got him with like a mounted guillotine oh, on that. I was trying nice. to get Kimura. Switched that. Went to the side. Really cinched it in. Um, this is early days. Even that, you know, put him in honey hole. I was gonna go for the Texas cloverleaf, but he rolled me right off the mat. Right. Something that I don't like that some grapplers do because they know that you're gonna get a reset. Did he tap? So it's like, he... Hmm? did he tap? No, because like I said, he rolled off. Oh, I see. Look, I'm like, oh yeah, really? <laughs> so that's another guillotine. Oh, oh, you're at the bottom. Yeah. So he's trying to get a guillotine on you, right? Uh, no, mounted. Uh... 
he tried getting a choke in, but it wasn't working. So suppose it, uh, you can't even pause Instagram, right? So his legs are open like this, right? Yeah, what it is, I do a lockdown on one leg, then I go under, yeah, under hook, you know, that other leg, and I bring it over my shoulder, right around the knee, right, and just, and then I straighten you out and curve you. So, so where's the tap? I'm forcing you to do a full split. Right, so that's where the tap is. Yeah, and mm. if you notice with this guy, I just pulled guard and went right into it because I was like, he's gonna fall right into it. Did oh, I lockdown, see. Yep. Got Boom, got the lockdown. You're now searching you for the underhook. I can see. I that. just would slap his his arm out the way so I didn't get choked. See, I I extend his legs, roll his leg over. Okay. See, get the underhook. Okay, I get see the that. knee line. And if you notice, he turns extremely red from pain. Oh my god. Once I get above the knee, I stretch him up and curl it. He needs to get oh. a new groin after that, man. So, 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 yeah. where's the pain? The pain is in the in the groin. It's in the groin. It's in the groin. Basically, like if you imagine being put, forced to do a split against your will. Right. And I'm completely, like, straight making you do a full split. If you go up, uh, uh, go up more to the begin the videos. At the beginning, uh, I, right there. If you want to see a, a highlight, this is more right. Nope. The right, other one. Don't nope, that one. That's with Eddie. That one. This is more Tenth Planet system. That's I went to Rubber Guard. Yeah. But the guy actually postured out before I could transition. And if you want to see some really, this one actually became almost like really posted on all types of different pages. I did like an outside lockdown. Instead of taking his back, rolled right into a calf slicer. And oh. And that's that blue belt, and he was a purple belt. I went up a league. So <laughs> it's like it's like plan. I feel like you learned kind of stuff for love, but like some sort of like witchcraft or something, and then you're kind of like that's what people the dark arts. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> those yeah. guys are, are they? Those guys they're from South Africa, right? Dark arts. Oh, dark. Oh, yeah. They actually there is actually a a tenth planet type thing that's called dark arts but i joke around just saying like template itself is the dark arts. oh right yeah, yeah 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 this is another one of my favorite kind of moves this this uh particular one is i tried going for an armbar almost had it but he he really popped up and still it was like i was almost in his guard but i had enough bend got out and i knew he was going to go for my legs so i just tried to keep my arms and legs safe so you're pushing them away yeah and then I go for a reverse um, calf slicer by way of the back. And you'll see me singe it right now. Oof. So he must definitely like screwing. wizardry. Yeah, he must have been screwing that guy, man. Oh, it hurts so bad, by the way. Um, and if you, yeah, you see like a lot of these uh, go up. There's uh, some of these are all famous black belts. Even um, right there again. Um, no, that's the same video. Go up, across. No, that 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 one. Yeah. This one here. Yeah, either one. That one too. His either one's good. <laughs> Sorry, but similar scenarios. Like, you know, um, did some rubber guard. Like, he was really, this guy's an MMA guy. I actually happen to know him now. 
and really tough guy, strong. It was hard to break him down. But eventually, you know, I wanted to break him down. So what what you what you really aiming good. for here? What are you trying to do? I wanted to get guard without being I wanted to break him down. But he was extremely strong. Then I noticed he wanted to grab my wrist and kind of play that chicken wing behind the back. Oh right, to go underneath underneath the Yeah, and grab my arm. Yeah. But I, I kinda like at one point I felt like it was hard to get guard. I always want to control someone's arms, but I noticed he kept doing that. So I said, Okay, he's gonna grab my arm. I kind of knew there was a possibility, and then I just singed in the rubber guard. Went in for double bagging, and I knew that I could put my leg around. He was going to push it, but once I could zoom around, boom. Oh. Immediate omoplata. I'm always trying to go underneath the arm. I kind of flare my fingers yeah. so I could grab both arms so he can't roll out. And for him... Later on, he told me that it was like really hurting his arm because I just was not letting go. <laughs> so, so you've got omoplata here, and then you you t you're kind yeah. of oh right, you've got his other shoulder. You straighten shoulder. the leg, and you go the opposite way, my angle, to just jack him that way. See, Does and again, I'm trying to be underneath his arm. He he almost went under, and I was prepared for that. I thought I'd get side control, but then I could go underneath his arm again, flaring my fingers. Really good technique if you like the omoplata, because if you can grab his arm, they can't roll out. You know, and um, this was just buying time. I tried getting around his neck, but he's extremely, extremely strong. Again, these are, I was in a purple belt division, although I was a blue belt, and right here, I just... So what happened here? Time over? No, no. I gave him a full-on omoplata. I bent his oh, arm tapped, really yeah. far back. Yep, he tapped. So okay, yeah. So uh, interesting, man. So you've gone to. Uh, so you, you you've. So when did you fully like ditch the gi completely? Um, it's really a funny story. Again, um, I was about to be promoted to a purple belt in the gi. Right. Under Joe Kowalski, who's a very good friend still, who was a Roger Wu black belt, BTT. And I started making a decision that I wanted to further myself in the 10th planet system. Yeah. And similar to jujitsu itself, if you're going to learn something, you've got to learn it from its source. You know, if you're not going to learn rubber guard, lockdown, truck, all these 10th planet, you know, um, moves as well as the system itself by people that don't play it. You know, it's no different from learning jujitsu that way. You know, you could, you could watch jiu-jitsu in the UFC, watch jiu-jitsu matches, but unless you've been in it and from the source, you know, you're not going to learn it from that person who just watched it and assumed in it. So I was really the guy in my area doing that stuff with a few other guys, like a guy named Dwayne and Josh. And, you know, um, but all of us were not officially 10th Planet. And one day I made a decision when I asked about a 10th Planet it was two hours away because originally there wasn't. And then one got opened under Pat Capagnola out of 10th Planet Springfield, Mass. And that's two hours away from me. And I went for the grand opening and I loved visiting. And it was just the group of guys, best group of guys, high level grappling too. I mean, oh my God, just amazing, right? I loved it over there. And I made a decision. 
said, if I'm going to learn this, I have to go 100. So I asked Pat, if I were to join your gym and I made it once a week, tried to double up classes as much as I could, would that be okay? And he was fine with that understanding, you know, how far I would have to drive. Two hours after work, two hours back at home around 1130 at night. Yeah. And I think that also for him, and he mentioned it before, you know, that that amount of dedication to wanting to be part of it, you know, was worth looking into, for, you know, for him. Like, okay, this guy's really making an effort. Got to give him a chance. So he said, okay. So I knew I was going to receive my purple belt. And I actually told the professor at the Brazilian top team, I'm going to go to 10th planet before I receive my purple belt. And it was out of respect because I thought it was just really wrong to take to, it. Yeah. Take it and run because yeah. I knew I was going to run already. So I actually had remained a purple, I mean, a, a, a blue belt. I was remaining a blue belt and I watched everybody that I came up with in jujitsu receive their purple belt. And I was like two years. And these are all guys that I, 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 I roll with and we mm. go back and forth and I came up with them. Some of them I started jujitsu started after me and they were all getting ranked. And, you know, of course, you know, it's not about the belt, but naturally that's going to be like, oh man, like, okay. But for me, it was worth it. Yeah. So I became so, part of 10th Planet. You know, when you go to, you know, when you go to 10th Planet, sorry, uh, I've got so many questions about 10th Planet, man. But say, for example, you're a black belt in gi or a brown belt or a purple, whatever it is. And then you, you, you basically start with in a 10th Planet's gym, yeah? Do you start back up white belt? No, um, not always. It depends on the instructor and you and what you want to do. I've seen some people actually say, I want to be a white belt. Okay. I want to learn the system. But usually, um, most gyms do no gi and gi. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I've seen more 10th planets where it's, if you are from a legitimate jujitsu school that's recognized, you know, like, yeah. and you can see, like, the guy's good, you know. Um, he, he has basic fundamental understanding. Most of the time, they just accept you as the belt you are. Okay. I don't think that goes the case with black belt. You're not going to just walk into a 10th planet gym and be a black belt in the 10th planet system. Yeah. From, so like, from like, my knowledge, you'd have to, you know, get a 10th planet black belt to be a 10th planet black belt. From my knowledge. So I, I think Joe Rogan's got two black belts, right? He's got one from Machado and one from Eddie, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That makes, that makes sense. Yeah. And I mean... So, so for me, they accepted me. I was a blue belt, and they accepted me as a blue belt. But that could also be, you know, Pat knew my knowledge, and he's seen me before, but he also recognized that Brazilian Top Team is a legitimate jiu-jitsu academy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, good lineage, good jiu-jitsu. Um, I can't speak for other, you know, gyms, and even I can't speak for a 10th planet officially, but that's just I've noticed that if you come from a legitimate gym, at least as a lower belt, that's usually what I saw happen. And sometimes I've seen guys even come in with their belt and they'll just get it when they get, it, you know? Right. right yeah. And it's, 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 it, it can, it, it was a little sometimes like weird to see like everybody that started jujitsu after me getting their belts and I'm still a blue belt. And, yeah. you know, but I, you know, I can't, that was my decision, you know, and my instructor, Pat Kevagnola is amazing. And, you know, looking back in retrospect, you know, I'm so glad he did things the way he did because he washed me very carefully. And when it was time, I got my purple belt in the 10th planet system. And, you know, for for him and most 
all 10 planets around the world, from what I see, without a doubt, it's about quality. You know, it's not about you've done your t- this many years on the map. No, it's mm. do you understand what you're doing? Can you apply it in your actual jujitsu and in competitions? You know, in most 10th planet schools, you want to get your belt? Learn the 10th planet warm-ups. I know you guys have probably seen them. The whole flows. That's what um, I love about it. That's what I love about 10th planet because I come from a... So, I, um, obviously, you know that we run a gym called Legion and we have a wrestling program and all this stuff. I don't know if you I don't know if you know about this, but um, or, or follow us at all on on. Uh, I do. <laughs> you do, yeah. I don't. Yeah, I don't want. Awesome. I don't. I don't want to. Um, uh, what's the word? Uh, assume that you do. So that's why I asked in it. But um, no, actually, I actually love you guys. And uh, oh, I appreciate that, bro. We love you too, man. Um, so I remember when we first started. I think um, introducing jujitsu. Uh, Dr. Amir was fascinated with Eddie Bravo and the whole 10th planet system. Like, just because it was unconventional. Because, as you know, jiu-jitsu is very, very, very uh, political, right? Yeah. So if you're not affiliated with someone, and we had, we had um, obviously, instruct, jiu-jitsu instructors come and go. And... Um, so we were just we, we just didn't know where we fit in the community. Do you understand what I'm saying to you? Because we were wrestlers, and you kind of just kind of labelled as that a wrestling gym, but we really wanted to combine our grappling style. So uh, Dr. Amir basically looked at the whole tenth planet system. We still like Fridays. We're going through a leg lock system. It does include a lot of Eddie Bravo stuff, Honey in a Hole, um, a Twister. Like I said, Twister's a there's a wrestling move that's similar. Obviously, Eddie's tweaked it and made it into a submission, but we do know that Twister is a, a, a wrestling. So there is that kind of synergy with with wrestling. Um, so yeah, I've got... And what I really loved about it was the fact that when he says system, it's actually systemized, which is there's flows. It, one goes into another. The, the warm-ups are very kind of... Um, I'm not going to... Not choreographed, but they are... Uh, they're up, they're they're made in such a way that it's repeatable, you know. Yeah. And 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 once something's repeatable, you're more likely to pull it off in live sparring, isn't it? Like you're able to get into these positions. Like watching your fights just now, I can tell that you've done that hundreds of times. You know, drilled it thousands of times. Yeah. Do, do you get me? So as soon as the person puts their hand there, oh, yep. I'm in that system now. So I'm going to go through this flow. And then, oh, he's done this. I'm going to jump onto this other flow. That's actually exactly it. And that's one of my fascinations with 10th Planet, besides just the, um, you know, the moves and, you know, using certain amounts of flexibility in some areas. But, you know, a lot of people don't know. You don't have to be so, so flexible. It's better. You know, uh, you can actually do like rubber guard, for instance, without flexibility. You were telling me, yeah. You know, a lot of people don't know that. They think you do rubber guard off your back and injure themselves and all that stuff. And, you know, you get this, that, then you start getting that thing where people say, oh, you know, it doesn't work. Rubber guard yeah. is garbage. It's like, yeah, because you've never been put in it by somebody that really knows how to do it. They got it off the internet and, oh, you injure yourself because somebody learned it off the internet from watching without properly learning it. You know, um, you, know you want to see high level rubber guard. Look at Jeremiah Vance. 
you know, um, Eddie himself, you know, you want to see stuff like the high level, like rubber guard, uh, Ben Eddie, you know, we've seen this stuff, you know, uh, Marvin Castell, Gio Martinez, Boogie Martinez, yeah. really phenomenal stuff. But um, yeah, I, the, the warmups really fascinated me as well, because I'll never forget Ben Askren was on the Joe Rogan podcast, right? Yeah. And I, I remember he actually said the state of drilling in jujitsu is yeah. atrocious. And I know everybody loves to bag on Ben Askren because of MMA fights or these other kind of fights he's been involved in. You, you can rag on Ben Askren all you want, but grappling wise, most of the guys that talk trash about him would get wrecked by him. Yeah, 100%. He would double leg take down them, smash them on the ground, and do what he wants with them. And that's a fact. When he entered the boxing match, yeah. he's not a boxer. He's, you know, so, you know, like his grappling can't be. You can't shake a stick at it. Let's be honest. Yeah. And he was right. The state of grappling, I mean, uh, drilling in jiu-jitsu is atrocious. Most drilling in jiu-jitsu, you go to any average jiu-jitsu academy, and basically what it is, is, um, you know, whatever. Okay, so give me a, <laughs> that, that's nasty Brazilian. Yeah, you can edit that out if you want. In Portuguese, very bad words. <laughs> It's not my language, so like I don't even. Think no, you'll forgive it. You'll forgive it. But um, but you know um, you go into most of these jujitsu academies, and it's okay. This is what we're gonna do. You're gonna grab the leg, and you're gonna do this, and that's the triangle. The guy might do this, and you know you do this. Okay, let's do that for five minutes. Go. All right. From there, what we could do is this. Okay, do this for five minutes and go. All right. Then if the guy does this, you could do this. Do that for five minutes. Go. After a little while, all right, everybody, we're gonna roll. Yeah. Go to a wrestling gym. You're going to be stuck on just shooting in with your knee for like one month. Yeah. You're going to be, you're going to be doing duck unders for like one month. That's exactly, you know. um, i just give you an example. <laughs> Everyone's laughing because, <laughs> because we have a set system in wrestling. Yeah. So we finished two on one series. So I, I could tell you straight, like two on one, Pull down, take the back. Two on one, snatch single, wrap double. Two on one. Does that make sense? So you do this. Yeah. Then you go duck under, duck under, take the back. Duck under, uh, claw hand. Duck under, uh, 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 back trip. Duck. So you're doing this literally for a whole month. And it's, circ it's a circular system. So you finish one whole... You finish that whole system and you start back up to the beginning again. You just keep going around and round and round. Yeah. And then you might kind of divert maybe for one month and do like a specific series, like, um, I don't know, like a, a leg lay series, for example, or whatever it is, yeah? So what? So that's why when we saw 10th Planet, we were like, yeah, man, that's exactly that wrestling, Correct man. That. Yeah. Exactly. It's, it's exactly that. And that fascinated me because when you look at it, you know, um, the, if you go to an average jujitsu gym, you might not see a technique, whether it's a transition or submission or position, you might not see it for like another year. Yeah. You might not see it for another year. Whereas if you go to wrestling, there's a system of how they do it and it's going to repeat itself. You're going to see it again. You will see it one way or another again. Yeah. And that's where mastery exactly. happens. Um, drilling, you know, and that's why Ben Askren said the state of drilling in jiu-jitsu is atrocious. And I agree. And 
if you, I remember I, I met a red belt who actually lives in Springfield, Mass, two hours away from me. And he's a judo master. And he's the master of uh, 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 my fellow student at 10th Planet Springfield and fellow martial artist, uh, Randy B. Hashkins. I suggest everybody look into his stuff. Underground Martial Alliance. And he's actually real karate from back in the day. And it was like brutal. And he teaches self-defense. He was a CO and everything. Guy went to Japan, the whole nine. This guy's an amazing martial artist. And I remember um, visiting one of his instructors, judo. And he has, I went with a lady named Bernadette and her students. And this guy sat us down and he explained that back in the day, how you learn judo, you would learn one throw in the mechanics, the surrounding for one year. And in four years, you probably learned four throws and the mm-hmm. mechanics that turned around, circle around. But you better believe that you became a master in those throws to the point that you could find any which way, any way in a fight to get somebody to just throw any entry. Like Jordan Burrows, he's going to get that blast double. Like he, you see it coming. Like one way or another, he's going to get it. Like he'll hit it twice, three times. He'll hit it from, a, from you hitting it on him. He he'll yeah. he'll he'll stuff the double and then hit you with a double. Does that make sense? So, yeah. judo. I was gonna say judo because judo is known for drilling. Yeah. You go on any Instagram channel, and you see them. They'll drill a, a, an entry for a whole you know hour. Yeah. And like like you said, one throw, but how many variations? How many entries? How many? Do you know what I'm saying? Oh so there's so many entries, so many so many takedowns and all, all that stuff. So that's what. I mean, Danny, listen, we can talk for another hour, but I'm going to put a pin in this, I'm putting this pin, this one, and we're going to, we're going to catch up again. Okay. And we're going to go deep into jujitsu this time because we've got your backstory yeah. now. Yeah. The Muslim jujitsu page too. Totally forgot about that. Yeah. Yeah. So we're going to talk about, so now, now it's about the future. So we're kind of like almost up to present day. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, so what's happening with the future now? You've got your Muslim jujitsu page, which you can shout out now and, um and then um so let us know what's yeah. going on with you at the moment um i started a page muslim jiu-jitsu because really for no other reason that there was a need for it yeah there was a need for it there's i i remember being so fascinated with jiu-jitsu and you know being who i am just the jiu-jitsu addict but i'm also and i don't ever like saying this because it sounds like arrogant but also trying to be a practicing muslim you yeah. know always doing my best to um, practice my religion as best as possible. And, you know, I I just remember going online, looking for other Muslims who do jiu-jitsu because I thought there must be a page, right? You know, like yeah. Muslim martial artists, Muslim MMA. There was some stuff, but it wasn't really popping off too well. Like, you know, it wasn't much following them. It looked like it was a dead page here and there. Muslim female fighters had a pretty going page, but I was like, okay, I'm a guy. So that, yeah. <laughs> you know, like it's, I, it's sometimes jiu-jitsu people, and I just decided one day, you know what? Let me make a page. If nobody, I, I believe that's actually one part of Rajul in Islam. If no one else in the world is willing to stand up, don't wait for the rest of the world because that means you'll all be waiting. Yeah. You know what I mean? You want to practice real manhood? Sometimes you have to be the first person to do something. Yeah. You know? So in my area, I'm the first person to be part of 10th Planet and willing to try two hours away. Same thing with Muslim Jiu-Jitsu. I said, okay, if there isn't a page, I'll build it. So I built it. And um, so far has, you know, much more than a, um, 
you know, a thousand followers and I've gotten, you know, quite a few followers. I, I wanted to make a point though of making the page where it was an open, you know, um, page for all Muslims. And this is sometimes a sticky subject because yeah. it's like, okay, sometimes there's women without hijab. Some people send me videos with music, you know, and I, it's not, I made a point to tell people like, cause for me, yes. Do I believe in hijab? Of course I do. I'm Muslim. I can't not believe in hijab. It's all for the love. Um, you know, um, you know, music being what it is, you know, difference of opinion, but usually me, I'm like, uh, you know, I have my opinions, you know, and I'm pretty, what you consider strict, you know, um, with my religion, but I also believe in giving other people excuses. And if I'm going to be strict, I'm strict with myself. Yeah. So, you know, for people who might learn about Muslim Jiu-Jitsu from this podcast, I left it purposely open where it's, I never said it's Islamic <laughs> Jiu-Jitsu, it's Muslim Jiu-Jitsu. And I wanted to make it open so that all Muslims Jiu-Jitsu, Muslims who do Jiu-Jitsu, regardless of how strict their practice might be, will get to know each other. Hmm. You know, so if we want to talk about hijab, not hijab, music, not music, you can discuss that with each other on its own time. But this is literally, I wanted to make it a forum almost, where all Muslims, regardless, as long as you identify as Muslim, we can get together, we can know each other. So if you're a sister Aisha who wears hijab, you can learn about sister, you know, uh, Khadija who might not, but you both do jujitsu and you're Muslim. And that gives a chance where you could roll together, you know? You know, I personally don't roll with women, but like, you know, some... You know, I try to keep it where it's just introducing Muslims who do jujitsu. I'll give an example. I'll give an example. Mm -hmm. um, I found out about um, Sister Yasmin from Qatar from your page. Yeah. Do you know what I'm saying? So now, um, like seeing a, a sister wearing niqab who's a black belt, so that cool. blew my mind. That actually blew me because I, I, I was looking at it for, I've got sisters, obviously, I've got a wife. I've got a mum, do you know what I'm saying? Uh, and and sometimes, like, there's not enough, because Muslim women guard their, the, they, they're not, they're not putting themselves out there like that. Does that make sense? For for right. good reason. Do you see know what I'm saying? Right. Where we live in a world where they show, everything is shown. Everything must be, uh, they're trying to un, undress Muslim women all over the world. Do you understand? Yeah, Everyone's yeah. got a. Everyone has a an opinion about what a Muslim woman should do and should not do, and uh, uh, they should take their hijab off to get into university, and they they're, they're oppressed because they were. And but no one's actually speaking to Muslim women, and I'm doing it right. myself at the moment. Do you know what I mean, <laughs> but 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 like to see someone like like Sister Yasmin, who is who's keeping her faith, keeping her principles, and also empower she's empowered and she's empowering other women yeah and then and then i found out her husband was a black belt as well which kind of blew more because i didn't know like she was from a, a jiu-jitsu family basically um so and then I, I learned about her husband and then mashallah her, her son who's a black belt now as well alhamdulillah we've, we've invited muhammad doti onto the podcast so he's, he's on i think in a few his his one will be in a ramadan episode can't wait. I can't wait. Uh, same here, man. I, I can't wait for that one. So, if it wasn't for your page, I would not. Yes, there are things that are different of opinion. Like there's some things that, for example, I wouldn't do. Does that make sense? But, right. but I'm not hit. Like, we are quick as Muslims. We're quick. 
to point out the differences. Do you yeah. understand? And sometimes that conversation has to happen in another, you, somewhere else. Yes. Do you get me? Like that conversation is not for this, for somewhere else. And then if we get educated by that, we'll make those changes and that's fine. But yeah. um, I just feel like when I look at it, I was just speaking to someone this morning um, talking about platforms. And and um, I was speaking about, we're always looking to come, to, 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 to be invited. Yeah? We want to be invited on other people's platforms. I'll give you an example. As a black person, or as someone who's an Arab, or someone as a Muslim, especially because I identify as Muslim first. You see what I'm saying? Right. Those Absolutely. things come, come after. Everything else comes after. I don't care about the other bits. Yeah? So we're always thinking... How comes we don't have any Muslim X or how do how comes we, there's no Muslim Y and how comes there's no Muslim A and do, do you know what I'm saying to you? Um, and then I was, I've never been a person that wanted to be invited to a party, bro. And when I mean a party, not an actual party, but oh, um, why doesn't the BBC, for example, here have uh, what when when there's when there's a a, a, a terrorist attack? Why do always bring in these these yeah, fringe, these fringe right. people, yeah, to talk on my behalf. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, but then I'll speak to this guy this morning. I was going to mention his name, but I, maybe he didn't want me to. But I was saying, look, we, we need to stop trying to knock on the door and create our own houses, man, our own buildings, our own. Um, and I, I, I was listening to The Breakfast Club a few weeks ago and they had a doctor on there. Uh, I can't remember his name. But he said the civil rights movement in America was the worst thing to happen. This is a black doctor explaining it. He goes, the reason why, he goes, because we stopped making things for ourselves. He goes, back in the day, black people had their own bus companies, their own taxi service, their own, do you see what I'm saying? He goes, Rosa Parks, he goes, we had our own buses. Why would, like for me, I'd rather ride in a bus where I'm, I'm welcome than try and get on a, a bus that was whites only. Does that make sense? Right. So yeah. obviously it's a different perspective to to what we are the, the narrative that was has been spun. Do you get me? Right. So it's it's basically what Michael Bex has been saying. Yeah. If you look at Michael Bex, what he was saying, he was saying, look, we don't want to integrate. Right. We want our own stuff. Do you know what I mean? So yeah. and it doesn't mean we're gonna exclude you, it just means we need our own stuff. Just the same way you got your own stuff. Absolutely. So that's why. So this podcast and what you is very important to me because I'm going to invite people that I'm comfortable with to talk to. Right. Do you know what I mean? And Absolutely. if you want to watch, watch. If you don't want to watch, you don't have to watch, bro. I don't care if there's yeah. even 10 people watching this I, for the rest of my life. I don't care. I'll still do. I've had this conversation with you for two hours and 40 minutes. Yeah. I would never have had a conversation with you otherwise. If you know what I mean, I would never have known you if it wasn't for these platforms. Right. right? So for me, it's more that um, I get, like I, well, the, the person I was speaking to this morning, I said, well, I get to chat to interesting people, man. That's amazing. And if people watch it, that's perfect, man. If they don't, then I don't really care, man. Do you know what yeah. I mean? So that's for, for me is like, when I heard that you had some issues and you were like thinking of um, knock, like knocking it on the head, like we say here, like stopping it or handing yeah. it over, um, Sometimes we have to pivot, Daniel. Do you know what I'm saying? Sometimes yeah. we start something one way, but we might have to pivot. Do you get me? So yeah. you might, 
maybe it's a thing that you might have to pivot later on or maybe you carry on like this or whatever it is. Right. But it's important, whatever it is you do, it's important that you understand why you did it in the first place. Sometimes you get caught up in the, in the day-to-day of running something, innit? And, right, yeah. And, and sometimes we're like, oh, like even to, to like thinking about doing this, like I don't get paid for any of this stuff, all the equipment and everything. And we, we, we kind of pulled out by bootstraps. And my business has suffered as a, as a result of this doing this yeah and alhamdulillah this is something we, we know we've got to do a sacrifice for it to kind of move forward like you said if no one's doing it then we should stand up and do it ourselves exactly yeah so I agree and inshallah hopefully um i want to and if you're happy to do it organize another episode later where we can talk real grappling stuff real jiu-jitsu stuff you know you can go through your whole 10th planet and um and we can keep, we can do a regular one and we'll figure out some sort of format that we can, you know, work together on, inshallah. And I think it worked really well. I mean, the, 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 I thought it'd be a bit weird speaking to you through Zoom, but it felt like you're in the room almost, you know? The only thing I can't do is, is make you a cup of tea, inshallah, bro. But maybe one day. I wish, I wish. One day, inshallah. Who knows? <laughs> inshallah. So. so to wrap this up, is there anything you want to end on? Oh, yeah, there's um, one, uh... That was basically it. I mean, like, um, as far as, you know, being that most of the uh, listeners, from what I understand, are usually Muslims, yeah. alhamdulillah, and uh, who actually, somebody who's non-Muslim, a few people are going to be watching this because I had told some guys, like, alhamdulillah. It's our, actually get out his phone and follow it. MashaAllah. <laughs> <laughs> so, again, again, um, I just wanted to just repeat something, Daniel, is... Um, this is not a Muslim podcast. This is a podcast run by Muslims. I like them. Do you understand <laughs> what I'm saying to you? Yeah. It just so happens that I'm a Muslim. But I started this podcast, um, I think, because we get stuck in this thing about identity, innit? Like, I'm a Muslim regardless, whether with this podcast or not, right? And right. sometimes, I don't want you to watch this because I'm Muslim. I want you to watch this because it's interesting. Absolutely. That's like, my yeah. thing. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, for example, yeah. sometimes, for example, oh, it's a black-owned business, yeah? Or it's a Muslim-owned right. business. Okay, but is it good? Absolutely. Is yeah. the product good? Is the service good? That's what's, what's going to get people to come and watch and participate and do all that stuff. So I thought I'd, I'd mention that, inshallah. I'm hoping that they will, more so, you know. Inshallah, um, bro. Like, yeah, just basically in closing, you know, like if people want to check out the page, Muslim Jiu Jitsu, my own page, I that's my personal page. They don't yeah. have to check that out. <laughs> we'll put it in the description, but, uh, we'll put it in the description in the show notes as well, man. So, inshallah, you know, inshallah. and um, you know, like I said before, it's I try to keep it pretty open so that everybody feels that they have a place to showcase their Jiu Jitsu and you know, so that Muslims can know other Muslims. Like, I kind of look at Muslim Jiu Jitsu like the uh, like an online phone book. Yeah, and you know, showing the directory of Muslims around the world that happen to be doing jujitsu. You just get to see their videos and stuff like that. But yeah. that's why I always want to add a tag. That's yes. that way we, we got our little phone book. You know, if you want about know about any brother or sister that's doing jujitsu, go to Muslim Jujitsu. Inshallah, you'll find them. You know, part of it you can join. Similar to you, I make no money off of it. It's just it was something that I felt that should have been done a long time ago and. Perhaps there'll be changes in the future. Perhaps sure. not. You know, I'm still looking into that. Sure and, um, you know, the biggest blessing is meeting people like you guys. 
definitely, man. And on that note, let's end it here. Daniel, it's been amazing. Thank you so much for spending two hour, 45 minutes with, with us. And you know what? I'm going to make it, let's not edit too much. Let's just put it out there raw. I'm not editing nothing. Yeah, we'll, we'll edit the bit yeah. that, um, obviously, when I went use the restroom, we can edit, edit that bit out. <laughs> but apart from that, like, we're going to keep it raw. We're going to try and keep a long four minute, like, keep it, keep it, you know, uh, natural. And um, to everyone out there who's listening, thank you very much. You got to the end. Congratulations. You would have, you'd have laughed. You would have cried. You'd have learned something. And on that note, from me, I'll see you on the next one.